Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode 43. And uh, here to join us is Minerva. Minerva, what's happening, man? Lots is happening. Lots is happening. <laughs> Lots is happening. A lot of things are happening in my personal life. But I do want to do a shout out to my daughter who had an interview for a records clerk job today oh, wow. for a part time. My little 18 year old. Very Look cool. It. She's adulting. She's adulting in everything. And she's uh, she's getting ready to go to college and all that, too. Right. Yes. I can't even believe I have an adult child who's going to go to college. <laughs> ah, that's very cool. Um, our uh, well, congratulations to her. Um, well, let's at, hope um, we're crossing our fingers, right? It was just the initial interview. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We uh, we are doing well in our in our episodes. Uh, Thomas's story, the last one, uh, we have 512 listens, and mm-hmm. that's in a week. That's not bad for us. That's really good. And the women's uh, the special edition, 411 plays, Jared's journey, 682 good. so far, and. Um, uh, yeah, the, I need some uh, feedback from the ladies. Like, hey, like, tell me, like, what, what, what can we do to help you, ladies, get out there? Because, you know, we need more ladies out there in law enforcement. So, what can we do to help? And maybe our guest today can maybe give us some ideas. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there is something I want to I want to touch on that as well. Um, and uh, that was a special edition that we did uh, on a Wednesday, and that was for the ladies only. That's got some good. That's got some good plays. And so, um, yeah, ladies, if you are listening, if you listen to the to the ladies only podcast, and it, you know what's funny, Minerva? Before I forget, I got two emails from people who listened to that podcast that was specifically geared towards women uh, going into uh-huh. law enforcement. They were both men. Really? That's a, well, they I love... know we have mostly men listeners, but what did they say? I'm curious what they I, said. I'd have to read them, but they they said they said both episodes were good, and the uh, and one of them said the last one was really good. And he was referring to that episode. So, uh, ladies, if you're listening, go ahead and give us a uh, an email. Drop me a line at ken at policebackground.net. Let us know that you enjoyed that episode. Um, and if you have any more ideas, so give us some feedback, like tell us, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like for us to cover? Because I do have quite a few female officer friends that we can discuss and address some of these questions that you may have. So yeah. drop us an email. Let us know. That's going to that's a big deal nowadays. And I, I think we're going to uh, ask our guest today's guests about that. And with that, uh, we want to introduce our guests uh, today's uh, episode is with the Kent Police Department in Washington, the recruitment unit. And uh, big welcome to Officer Brian Cortinas and Sergeant Eric Tung. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, absolutely. It's our yeah. pleasure. Um, we're going to get into a lot of different things today. But uh, first, uh, so um, Eric and Brian, we're going to find out a little bit about you, how you got into police work and your story. Uh, what one of the things that I like to find out about is um, how long ago you came on and what your background investigation was like, because I find and Minerva was a background investigator with me in LAPD and also Glendale PD in California. And we find that by and large, background investigations are about the same, but sometimes in different agencies, they run things a little bit differently. I like to find out about that. So starting with uh, with uh, Eric, 
tell us uh, your story about how you became a police officer. Yeah, so uh, I just hit my 15 year mark, so it feels like feels like a breeze. But um, I think like most people will say, sometimes it feels like a crawl and sometimes it feels like a sprint. But mm-hmm. right now it feels like a sprint. I'm a good spot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started 15 years ago. Basically, I just graduated uh, from school. Um, but what had uh, what had prompted my interest was basically halfway through college. I was I was continually trying to look for what it was that I felt my calling was. I think that the majority of high school and the first part of college was really just checking a lot of things off the list. Um, it was trying things that were expected of me. Um, you know, being Chinese American, there's definitely a lot of stereotypes. The stereotypes are true for my family. Um, as far as what I was, uh, what type of career paths were, were most desirable. Um, but just to not spend too much time talking about that, there was always this calling to do some, some type of service, uh, directly in the community boots on the ground, uh, front facing and out in the public. So I went for it. I tested for police and fire at the same time. And ultimately there were a lot more doors that opened, um, for police, um, had a lot of invitations to apply and start doing oral boards and we could get more into that. But before I, uh, before I go too far down that loop, um, backgrounds were pretty straightforward, I think compared to how they might be now. Um, you know, social media was, it was a thing, but it wasn't quite as complicated and there weren't, it wasn't quite the spider web of different platforms and, and places where people might be, um, However, a lot of the, the big boxes are very similar. Um, you know, there's the personal history statement and you got to be super thorough on it. You have to be really specific. You have to be really accurate. Um, through that, there's all the references and background investigators contacting people you list, family, friends, uh, coworkers, prior coworkers, and then going down um, to the third, third party people, right? People that might know Eric. Um, that might not be buddies with Eric, but what do you have to say about him? That kind of thing and, and being a police officer. So um, in, in that respect, a lot of things are similar. Um, specific to Kent PD, uh, at that time, we were um, basically farming it out to different um, detectives, uh, different officers. So it wasn't quite as specialized. It wasn't quite as um, consistent within one unit like what we have now, which is something I'm really happy about, What something I'm really proud of. As far as my unit, the consistency and the the dedication to when you're doing one thing and specializing versus doing many hats, the jack of all trades kind of situation. Um, so that's uh, that's my process in a nutshell as far as my interest getting in and uh, and going through the background and getting hired. All right, cool, Brian. What's your story? Uh, so I graduated high school, got married right out of high school. Um, didn't really know what I was going to do, but. Um, didn't do the military route, didn't do the college route. My dad, he owned his own landscape company and, and I was kind of just working retail. I, just, I wasn't sure what my calling was, if there's, if there's such a thing, but, um, working retail, uh, worked at GI Joe's. You remember GI Joe's? It's a, it's an old place, it was, you know, old, kind of like a big five. Oh, uh, we sold all, all kinds of things, uh, kind of like a sports authority. And, um, I worked in the footwear department. People stole shoes all the time. And so <laughs> one of the things that got me going uh, was one of the most exciting things was when loss prevention would go to stop somebody and I would help them and definitely shouldn't be chasing people, but I'm chasing people to get the <laughs> shoes back and just thinking, 
just thinking, man, this is, you know, you, you get the shoes back or whatever and your heart's pumping. You're like, wow, that was fun. That was exciting. And uh, we would often have um, this Tacoma police officer that would come in and, and buy shoes for me. And he, he's like, well, why don't you be a cop? And I'm 19 at the time and I, I'm chewing on it. I'm like, man, he, he's like, we do this all the time, especially in Tacoma. We chase people all the time and it's exciting and it's fun and it's, it's, uh, it's thrilling. And then I was hooked, went on a ride along and, and, uh, um, you know, had to wait till I was 21 to apply. So when, it, when I was 21, I was applying, it was 2011. And I think you remember agencies were not hiring in 2011. They were doing layoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a tough time to become a cop. So, um, I ended up getting hired on as a corrections officer at score jail, love, love score jail, little, little, uh, um, plug for score jail. Uh, if you're, if you're looking at, at applying to be a police officer, it's okay to start as a corrections officer. It's a good gig. Um, but I was there cause they have, they were hiring a ton of people. And so I started off there, I was there for three and a half years and then, uh, and then came over to Kent. Um, and the backgrounds were similar, both places actually, uh, at the, at the jail and at Kent. Um, for me, um, like Sergeant tongue was saying, social media wasn't as big of a thing. Uh, but, um, my background investigator, uh, he was a little older and his, unless he was fooling me, his only pl- look into my social media was, Hey, log into your account and let me see it real quick. And I scrolled through my Facebook account. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit more in depth now just because of, you know, the people put a lot of stuff out there online about themselves and maybe things they shouldn't be putting out there sometimes, or, um, you know, or sometimes it shows their true character. And, um, so in that aspect, it's a little bit more in depth, but in, in general, it's, it's pretty similar. It's, it was still an in-depth process. I remember my, my personal history questionnaire was 28 pages long. Now maybe it's 31, 32. So a little bit has been added, but it's still pretty much the same. Yeah. You know, um, Eric brought up a, a point that I, I wanted to touch upon because we haven't we haven't talked about this very much, uh, Minerva. In that you said that uh, I think you said when you started there were part timers that were there weren't part timers. There was like detectives and people doing backgrounds part time. And yeah. and I've never I've never we've never spoken about this, Minerva. But I'm not a fan of part time BIs. Um, you know, I had a guy <laughs> that from one agency that I wasn't able to, the BI, I couldn't get a hold of him forever and ever. And then finally someone said to me um, that, um, um, that he was, he was assigned to SWAT and he was also doing backgrounds. And I'm going, that's why I can't get a hold of him because he's out doing, this is, this is just an additional thing. So his background, backgrounds wasn't his main thing. Um, Also, uh, Minerva, we've run into uh, into into uh, background units that don't have their own BIs, and they farm them out to PI agencies. And I'm not a big fan of that. So I do like when there are units that are dedicated to recruitment and backgrounds, because that's your sole purpose is to is to get the best candidates that you can get, and not make it a part time gig. Yeah, because hiring is number one. That's the future of the department. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. Minerva, did you run into that? I I know my agency didn't do it. We had a you know, background unit. And uh, but I have been to other agencies that have done that. And the same with you. Like, I feel like it's they're not as thorough as they can be because they have other duties that they have to do. Mm-hmm. I also don't like it when agencies contract out with the background 
you know, company or whatever, because I think part of being a background investigator for your agency is that you have a vested interest in picking the right people. Right. And so, you know, the environment of the agency you're working at, but somebody, when you contract out, they don't know that, you know, sometimes they're retired police officers. Sometimes there's just people with a PI license. So I just feel like when you have internal, like a designated internal unit doing it, you just get a much more thorough background and better quality of people. That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. If I can jump in, I, and I, I know that there's such a range, especially in our area. So I can, I can only assume that I could project that out to the nation, but, uh, we're all facing this, uh, this hiring crisis, right? We're all facing this staffing crisis in the last couple of years. That's part of why me and Brian are even here in our positions. That's why we're even on this podcast. Uh, you know, I came out of a neighborhood response, more a community focused, like longer term problem, um, you know, working with residents and business owners. So, and before that I was in patrol uh, just a few months prior and Brian's came out of patrol as well. Um, but this was a newer investment. Like we had full-time backgrounders, um, but to dedicate one sergeant specific to recruiting and hiring is a new thing for us. Um, and I know that there's a lot of agencies facing the same issues where there's not enough guys and gals on the street. There's not enough guys and gals taking cases or, uh, you know, investigating the cases on the uh, investigative division. So it is strategic for us. Um, we're, we're very fortunate that our administration bought in and believed in us and in our ability to curb our numbers and, and really put the investment up here. But I know, um, you know, cause we talk with our, our, you know, our brothers and sisters in other departments all the time. And for them, it is, it is kind of struggle. Um, we do actually have a mixture of a couple guys that are helping with back, uh, part-time backgrounds. And it's really just to keep more, more of our foot on the gas. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say it really depends. I, I agree with everything you and uh, Ken and Minerva said about, um, what's ideal best practice would be to have a dedicated unit in house. Um, however, it might not be feasible. Um, we're just trying to, uh, make sure as best we can that everyone that is, that is involved has a hand in it is consistent in expectations and consistent with what we're looking for, our prerogatives with the agency and building our team culture. Um, so that's something where I, I do feel proud of it, you know, even in the recruiting aspect, um, that we can talk about our police department being on the same page. Chief wants the same thing as command staff as wants the same thing as our unit wants the same thing as patrol. So um, I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah. I want to point out two things that uh, Sergeant Tung said, but, you know, first of all, I've never worked in a time where so many people have left law enforcement that we've been so short. So I've never experienced that. So that's, that's something different, but I do agree that there has to be, the department as a whole has to have some standardized way of doing a background so that everybody's on the same page and knows what the goals of the agency are. Mm -hmm. So that definitely makes a huge difference. But yeah, I've never worked in a time where patrol is so low in personnel that, you know, they have to take detectives out of detectives units to go back to patrol. And so that totally makes sense. I never even thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. But it's a change of the times. Like that's just how it is right now. Right. And Brian, you guys are, um, you and Eric are the recruitment unit. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And so what I think is cool is that the, the, when, when, um, 
when Eric was saying that you're chief and everybody's on board with the recruitment because uh, that that you're assigned full time to do this because that is probably the most important thing right now in 2022 to recruit people. You have to you have to dedicate it and and Brian and and Eric's hearts are Kent PD. That's your sole purpose in is getting the best candidates to serve the city of Kent. And I think that's a big deal because um, because if it's like I said, the, the future of the police departments start with the recruitment unit and and that you are the faces of of your police department. And so I think that's the first step. If you guys do a good job and you're actually dedicated, that's your office's uh, function is to dedicate yourself to recruiting people, then I love that. I love it that your chief is on board and everybody is on board and not in Minerva, you and I specifically know a department mm-hmm. that um, is not, <laughs> and we don't, <laughs> we try not to bring up our old agency very often, but um, I talked to background. Everybody knows who it is. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, and, I, and I'll say this about it is, um, is anybody that asked me, I'll tell them, but this particular agency that Minerva and I are, are familiar with um they they aren't dedicating they're they're not doing things like i think is is probably the best practices to do and in the nationally in the in the in the uh, in the news media this department is all over the all over the front page because they're losing people and they're not replacing them and it's because of their recruitment efforts you guys are doing it right and uh, and i got uh, my hat off to you as because um you have to have a unit that's dedicated to it and the officers that are, are in it, uh, that's their, that's what they want to do. It's not just a job for you guys. And I, and we were talking with, with, uh, with Eric prior to, to coming on and, uh, I can tell, I didn't get to talk to Brian as much about this, but I can tell Eric is, is in it. That's, that's his goal is to get good cops. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's very what I mean, like you have a vested interest, right? Because look, you say you have Sergeant, you know, Tom, you say you have 15 years on the job, right? Yeah, yeah. And Brian, you're about like 10, 11 years or somewhere around there. I'm at seven. At seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you guys have vested all this time in this agent. This is like your home, right? Yeah. No, this, so that's why it's like. Sure. You only invite the right people into your home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's yeah. kind of like, the, you know, the police department becomes that for mm-hmm. a recruiter because I've done recruitment, too. Like you only want the right people to come in. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why it's so important, I think, to have a if possible. And, you know, if it's, you know, can happen that way for an agency to have a recruitment unit and a background unit to do the recruitment and backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, thank you. And I think, you know, it says a lot too about the agency because it took some guts to do it. Uh, you know, I was an FTO where, and we've got a lot of, a lot of need for FTOs, obviously, uh, quality FTOs in, in a department. Um, but I was on patrol shagging calls and we're already short staffed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to take me out of patrol and put me in recruiting wasn't a popular decision. Um, however, you know, we've hired 18 people this year so far, and it's in, it's August to put that in perspective, we've averaged 12 hires every year, the last five years. So, uh, we're already, you know, uh, one and a half times what, what we've averaged, um, we're shooting for 30 this year, but what's funny 
is we have more openings now than we did in January. So what, you know, right now, uh, our, our, our cancer is staffing. We right now we're, we're, we're going through chemo and our, the chemo is recruiting. And while the body, our, our people, our guys that are our guys and gals that are grinding every day out there on the street, they might not know what stage they're in of the cancer. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, the commander Grove, um, who's, uh, who's our boss, um, he, he recognized it and, and he made a push to say, Hey, this is, this is the, this is what's important right now. Because imagine if, 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 Sergeant Tung and I were not pulled from our positions and we kept doing the same thing. We wouldn't have the numbers that we have. We would be, we would be even more of a hole than we were before. Um, I mean, it, we would be screwed for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah. It's one of those uh, things like you, you do the same thing so you can only expect the same results, but we want, and we need critically way more drastic results, like way more success. Um, so I appreciate the compliment compliment of you saying, um, as far as like my investment in this role and in this yeah. department for, for sure, for me and Brian, it's very much that like, you know, we joked about kind of working on a day off, uh, and, you know, talking about <laughs> recruitment, but that's like super common, you know, cause we're trying to do recruiting or I'm trying to even dabble into backgrounds, you know, Brian, cause he's in the unit might be looking at that too. Right. So we're wearing two plus hats. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but for me, you know, even talking with my boss, commander Grove, was the recognition that we needed recruiting a couple of years ago. Um, you know, what, what prompted a lot of our issues and for law enforcement in the nation is, you know, post the death of George Floyd. Um, and I remember having that conversation when I was in patrol and that was, you know, that's the bulk of my career, 14 out of 15 years so far I was in patrol in various hats. Um, but so I'm very tied to, you know, the dispatch and 911 calls. Uh, that's, that's, that's my bread and butter. Um, I was talking about needing a recruitment unit and a recruitment supervisor, but I truly, to be honest, I, I nominated someone else in their absence. Um, you know, this person, that would be perfect for the role. it was not me. Um, it was not my forte. I did not want to be the standardized kind of, um, you know, your stereotypical, uh, booth recruiter. Um, some might say like a carnival stand hawker. Um, I just didn't see myself being that, um, but in truth, in reflection of what we faced, um, it was hard to step away from the guys and the crew and on the street. I felt that's where my day-to-day -day impact was big. Um, but when I was challenged and asked by a couple of my mentors and peers, hey, um, you can do that and I'm sure you do a great job, but what else could you do? And where could your impact be larger? Where could you have that larger span? And that's where, um, as soon as I got the position, I. I tapped Brian. I was like, Hey, have you ever thought about this? And because I know where his head and his heart is, we've worked a number of years um, on patrol as well as on our, our crowd control unit, uh, regional crowd control. So um, I know, I know how he cares about the people out there that really need us. Um, although it's been challenging and extremely stressful, extremely frustrating. And it, it has made, um, you know, has made you think about throwing your hands up and walking away. Certainly some of my friends have, and no judgment, absolutely no judgment. They put mm -hmm. in their time. I, it's a thank you for your service. I appreciate what you've done. Um, it's more than, more than we could have asked. Um, but it's, it's sometimes it's time for people. Um, however, the real victims out there are truly out there. They're not in the walls of any police department. I don't care how bad your staffing is. Um, it's the people calling 911. They're the one that's 
they're the ones that need help. And yeah, so man. ultimately, even if laws and policies aren't exactly as you'd like them uh, due to the times, it's what we have to work with. So um, that's, you know, that's our pitch when we talk to people. And it's been really, really invigorating to see all these people come in, um, see our testing numbers boost up because we're out there and we're ready to engage people. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people that want to sign up and do this, this very worthy career, this very worthy job. Yeah, we uh, we talk with uh, with candidates a lot and um, there's still I mean, recruitment's down across the nation because just the environment and uh, George Floyd in 2020 and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, but there are still, you know, police work is a calling. And um, when that's in you, it's you can't shrug it off if you feel if you feel that you've been called to become a police officer, it doesn't matter what the environment is. It's picking the right agency to join because that's super important. There's people you're talking about people, you know, just throwing up their hands and just going, I, I don't want to do this anymore. A lot of that has to do with the departments that they're working for. If you find an agency that you like that treats you well, and that's the important thing is, um, that emphasizes the police officers. And we were talking about uh, mental health as well. That's all, that's all part of the package. It's all important. And if you, as, as a recruitment unit, convey that we are here as a family, we're going to take care of our officers, and, and you can't just throw money at it. You have, to, you have to show the heart of the department that they care about the police officers. And that's mm -hmm. one of the most important things. If you get that message across to your candidates then you're way ahead of a lot of agencies that just say, oh, here's the, here's the pay, here's blah, 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 this is what we do, and hey, you want to join? That's not where it's at anymore. It's about social media. It's about reaching out. I met Brian on, uh, on Instagram. You guys have a great Instagram account um, for recruitment, and that's really important. In, in 2022, recruitment isn't what it was five years ago. It just isn't. I started, I started in backgrounds 25 years ago, and it was just like um, you put a little one-liner in the newspaper and people, oh, my gosh, you know, hold off. We've got too many applicants. It's not like that anymore, where you point, you say, we have some openings. I remember back when about Minerva's time <clears throat> when, um, when they were, a smaller agency would advertise, and they would, uh, they would have three openings, and they would have 500 applications, and they just they had to find a way to 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 weed out people that weren't as desirable. And then they would get to the top tier, 500 applicants for three jobs. But it's not like that anymore. And so the recruitment units are, are really important um, that let's talk about before we get into any, anything else. I want to talk about some some Kent PD war stories and uh, some of the stuff that you've gotten into, because a lot of times people. <laughs> You know, when they get into police work, they they see the, the YouTube and they see the pursuits and the lights and sirens and all this stuff that's going on. And I think that draws people in all the police shows that go on. So, Brian and Eric, I want to hear some of your adventures on the on the job in uh, in Kent. So, Brian, tell us tell us some of the stuff that you've gotten into. So. <sighs> um, well, where I was going to start is uh, sometimes things just come in in bunches. And so uh, my, there was, there was a, a couple week, maybe a month long span where 
went to 11 year old who uh, had collapsed and um, did CPR on her. And, you know, we were uh, Sergeant Tong was actually my, my backing officer. Um, we were able to slap some AEDs on her and we're able to bring her back to life and she's healthy and she's fine. And she's great now. A um, couple weeks later, um, in the morning, get dispatched to a 20 some year old boy who fell three stories, just an accident, uh, over a, a railing and, and died. And while we're there, mom looks down, sees him. Uh, it's an ugly scene. So going and talking to her and dealing with her, um, a couple hours later, I get dispatched to a two year, two month old, um, that, that was not breathing and didn't have a pulse. Mom was doing CPR on it, on the baby. I go there, I work on the baby for a while, medics get there, take over and, and, you know, the baby doesn't make it. Um, and then the next day, um, at the end of my shift, uh, go to a 15 year old that's hung herself, um, for a, a minor, um, it, it was a minor inconvenience. And so dealing with the family and, and sh she made it, um, oh. Uh, fam family got to get the cord off her and, and all that. Um, and in a very, very short time span. And so my, my, how I, how you asked us actually before, and Hey, we're curious about war stories. And I, I was thinking about all the cars I've spiked, which are super exciting and all the, the fights that I've been in, but my war story really was a mental, it's a mental war story, right? <laughs> um, it was, it was back to back same days with, from the, the 20 year old to the two, to the, the two month old. Um, and in a month time span, we had a life-saving and, and, and two that didn't make it. And then, you know, another gal that, 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 that made it. And so it's this roller coaster this job's this crazy roller coaster of, of emotions and, and battling, um, uh, you know, darkness sometimes, you know, going home. And, uh, I, the, the two month old, uh, the two month old was, uh, passed away a month or two months before I just had my last kid, uh, you know? That's and hard. so every now and then you're changing that diaper and you think about, the baby. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it's not, I'm not sharing a crazy shoot them up, bang, you know, I'll pit the vehicles and you know, I've pitted several vehicles in my time. Um, you know, gone on pursuits where sparks are flying over the car and, you know, because <laughs> the tires are blown out. That's, that's fun. It's exciting. Um, but it's also fun and exciting to go and save some gals, a girl's young girl's life. And then, and then it's tough having to deal with the losses in the job. Um, and so my war stories really are around, uh, like the mental health battle. Um, and we've lost, we've lost some officers in, in recent years and, um, in our department and, and then departments around our area where that we know that we're close with, you know, I was, I was close to family friends with deputy Colada in Pierce County. And, uh, and so it, it, that's, that's my war story is it's that, that daily grind of being positive and, and, you know, knowing that we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with the, the darkness. We're going to deal with tough times. And, uh, but there's also high, there's, there's high highs, really high highs. We've got a lot of retirements recently where the, the emails, it, they're continually saying, Hey, I've had my highest of highs here. And I've had my lowest of lows here. Um, but that's, that's what that, they, they I know in all of those emails. They don't regret one minute of being a cop here in Kent. Um, and so it was that, yeah, I know not quite the the way maybe what you were looking for, but um, that's what comes to my mind. I can really appreciate you sharing that yeah. because I think people need to 
you know, people have this idea that police work is like the movies, right? And like the TV shows, like, you know, like Ken mentioned, like the foot pursuits, the, you know, car chases and all that. But nobody really talks about the mental toll it takes on an actual individual and how realistic that is part of the job. And I think people who want to go into this profession need to also take that into consideration. Like you said, all these calls where the adrenaline rush is like, oh my God. And you're like shaking and, you know, uh, because you just, you know, chase somebody like, you know, down the highway or whatever. But mm. there are those other calls, you know, where you're saving people or like, you know, like you're back to back where, you know, you, you went to this call where, you know, you had saved them, but then a child died, <laughs> the child mm -hmm. passed away mm -hmm. and that takes a toll on you as a person. Right. And then, like you say, then you have, you yourself have your own child and now you're thinking of that other child that mm -hmm. passed away. So mm -hmm. all of those are very realistic things that come with this profession that people need to know, not just the car chasing and the traffic stops and the SWAT calls and all that stuff. So I thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. But where I will say it, when you say it, it's, it's like a movie, it, it truly is. It is that, ex, it, it, it is that exciting. You know, you yes. watch what, what it can what, be. Yeah. <laughs> but what's a good movie about it? It's not all excitement all the time. It's those all of us that, right. You, you have that protagonist and the antagonist and it's the pulling this way and that way. Yeah. And that's what the job is. It's a saying that I use in a lot of my recruiting efforts is it's a front row ticket to the wildest ride on earth. Mm -hmm. You're going to those high highs and those low lows. What it is, is you're feeling right. Yes. I'm getting goosebumps, right. But, but over my career, you, I mean, it's exciting. Even the low lows, you know, they're, they're, they're the memories that, um, I don't want to forget. You know, there's there 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 uh, the job place fulfillment that you get here as, as a police officer, but especially in Kent because we're not a slow paced agency where we, we mm -hmm. don't roll the roll, we don't roll the sidewalks up at, at nine o'clock in the evening, right? We're not a two we're not a an officer and a chief, right? So like some small towns, um, it is exciting. It is a blast, and you deal so and so. And I'll finish with this on 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 the war story thing is that knowing that this is the reality that you're, that we deal with tough times. Um, we talk about it. It's very, this is commonplace that we, we, Sergeant Tung and I, and members, you know, people in, in, in the agency, we don't shy away from shooting a text or giving a phone call to somebody who went to a tough call. Um, we know that it's a reality. And so it's, it's exciting to, it's, it is movie like, but um, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't have to change you as much as, as it really, some people get changed so much by the job and some people don't make it. Some people, you know, and you know, unfortunately commit suicide sometimes because you just get to such a dark place mm -hmm. that we've seen actually locally recently. Right. Um, but we address it. We know it. We know that the evil is looking at us and that we're not going to turn into that evil. Right. Um, and, uh, because we're aware of it, I don't kind of, I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but I just do that at times. <laughs> uh, what better place than a podcast? I suppose mm -hmm. I'm just showing my true self. This is me. Um, but we, we recognize it. We know that it's there. Um, and, and we embrace it. And so, cause we don't want it to change us too much. We want to be able to overcome when, when we're just, you know, getting in too much of our, into our own head and then we're getting into dark places. So, um, it's just another plug, honestly, for Camp PD, just because we—it's something that we know that we deal with, and we we normalize it. We yeah. try to normalize it at least. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that too, um, 
for our listeners, you know, before we start the podcast, I send out an outline. I call it an outline, but what it is, is just kind of a little framework of, of some of the questions and things like that we want to talk about. But I tell the guests all the time, hey, go in whatever direction you want to go in, because it's just like like some cops sitting around at dinner, just chewing the fat, just talking. And that's what the podcast is. But one of the things that Minerva and I are dedicated to on this podcast is giving the real story. It's not about, oh, we're going to pay you all this money and you get to chase people and stuff like that. Because part of the reality is that candidates need to know that that you will go, you'll get a call, and um, for instance, with 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 LEPD, you'd be working patrol, you'd be you're minding your own business, just doing whatever, and then all of a sudden, these three tones come out, and those whenever there's three <laughs> tones, that means a code three calls coming out, and all of a sudden, you you start getting into into um, into this mode. And then they say, they say, your unit is the one that's going to respond to this code three call. Immediately, the adrenaline rush, whatever time it takes for a few minutes, this big adrenaline dump, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. And then you do that day after day after day. And what are you supposed to do? The human body isn't, isn't geared towards getting these big rushes of adrenaline and then saying, hey, okay, so you want to go, what do you want to eat? It's not, it's not made to do that. Yeah. And so your stories, Brian, are, are, to me, they're probably more important than the actual foot pursuits and all that, because that's the exciting part. But the part, the PTSD and your friends, if they take their own lives, that lasts a lifetime. And so it's important. Mm-hmm. I, Eric and I were talking about, about I, I, a friend of mine runs a resiliency project, Nick Wilson. We interviewed him for one of our one of our episodes about uh, mental health. And I just want to emphasize, based on what Brian has brought up and what uh, Eric and I were talking about, is as a as a candidate, we want you to be aware of. You know, they always push. Uh, you know, the fight's going to be on when you get in patrol. The fight's going to be on. You got to be physically fit. You got to jujitsu and all this kind of stuff, which is important. But you need to also be aware of, you need to have mental health tools available to you when you, before you get on the job, know that that toll that the job takes on your mind is super, super important to be aware of it. And Brian, I think that you're, uh, both you and Eric and talking with you are proponents of, of getting that into the, into the heads of the young officers as soon as they get hired, you're going to see stuff that nobody should see. You're going to have experiences where you might see children that that remind you to you go home, and the first thing you do is if the kids are asleep, you pick them out of bed and you hug them because that mm-hmm. just reminds you of the frailty of life. And if you don't get that taken care of in your in your mind. Day after day after day, it'll take its toll. And we see that in the newspaper all the time. It's a newspaper. It tells you how old I am. In the news all the time <laughs> that officers, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't escape it, the pain. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to say right now on this, on this podcast that if you're thinking of becoming a police officer, you will see things that nobody should see. And you need to not bury the pain, but you need to... Uh, get it out of you, get the poison out of you because mm-hmm. otherwise it'll mess yeah, you absolutely. up. So um, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm glad you focus on that. Yeah. I, it's just important. It's important. Yeah. I, I just, 
I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast when I was talking with Nick before on the podcast and I, I was diagnosed with PTSD when in, during the 92, right after the 92 riots and, and, and I spoke at a, at a, at a, at one of his conferences in, um, in June of this year about my experiences. And days after that, I, I was, um, it was a bad time for about a week after that. So it doesn't matter how long ago your your trauma has happened, it will stay with you. And so mm-hmm. if you don't take care of it, Brian is on is way ahead of a lot of people in that you know it's there and it's it's probably not gonna go away. But mental health, as long as you're aware of it, uh, that you're gonna experience it, then uh, then do the things. And I, I appreciate the Kent PD that that that's a big deal to Kent PD. Uh, we lose too many officers mm-hmm. to uh, to the demons that chase them, you know, because of of what they've experienced as police officers. Um, Eric, you've got you, Brian yeah. was telling me you've got a pretty big story to to tell about uh, an experience. Yeah, yeah. So when I reviewed the outline, um, you know, about a kind of rock star story. There was one that Brian asked me to tell, um, and I'll get there, but on, on what we were just talking about, really it's about peer support. So, um, you know, it, I'm lucky that we came in a department where we had a robust peer support program. Um, I'm a, I'm a coordinator now. Um, Brian's a peer support member as well. And it's really just, as you're talking about what we're saying is this stuff piles up. It doesn't just go away and it becomes scar tissue or just it festers like an open wound. Right. Um, and I think the difference is whether you are able to release the pressure valve on that cooker. Um, and it really just comes down to, uh, having healthy ways to process that, right. That might be talking to a buddy, might be talking to clergy, uh, you know, faith, family, friends, those are the big, you know, three F's that, that I focus on. And I will say that that, that has kept me moving forward and upward for the majority of my career. However, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I've had my moments. I've had my, my dark or cynical or super negative periods, or, you know, even early in my career, uh, because it does change you, um, on the topic of recruitment. Um, you know, after I was an officer for a few years, whenever there'd be someone in one of my circles that was interested in police work and I got connected, I would usually spend anywhere from, you know, 45 minutes to maybe a few hours, um, getting coffee, talking to them. And it wasn't a good sales pitch. It was usually like this, Hey, let's, let's, let's have some real talk. Like, where are you at? Why do you want to do it? Okay. No, but really, why do you want to do it? Okay. No, but really, why do you want to do it? (laughs) And then it became uh, Hey, are you aware that this, are you aware that you'll see this? Are you aware that divorce rates are high? Suicide rates are high. Depression's high. Um, Diagnoses, right? PTSD, PTSI, uh, you know, anger management, all these things, you realize that they're high and you realize that you're going to look at things different. It's going to be hard for you to go to a parade or a crowded area and just be present and happy and content with your family. You're going to be looking for exits and people with bulgy, you know, waistbands and all this, right. Um, it's going to be hard for you to go to a restaurant and sit with your back to the door. Um, it's going to be hard for you to do all these things. Um, and then usually, um, the conversation would, would kind of, plateau out to be like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I really appreciate that. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, but yeah, I'm in. So I'd be like, all right, let's go. You know, and then we start having the conversation about, um, the process and how to make yourself a good candidate, how to, how to practice interviewing all these things. Right. So 
Um, I, I think it's critical. I'm glad you focused on that because, uh, you know, we're not alone. Uh, we do need to talk about it. Um, you know, I, I came in at more of a, a little bit more traditional environment. Police culture was, you know, we'd had peer support, but it'd be a lot more of the, uh, Hey, like, you know, we're going to maintain a stoic, um, a tough guy kind of persona. Um, and I'll, I'll tell my story. It does have a lot to do with, um, well, it is integrated with peer support because it was a really close call for me. Um, I've had a few, but this was the most significant, um, you know, my few, most of them came with K9. So, um, yeah, this was about eight years ago, summertime and I was on my day off, but I'd been working the dog, my, uh, my German shepherd, he's a tracking dog. Um, he was, he's passed and in, in retirement. So he had a, he had a good run. And then he had a couple of years off when I promoted. Um, so I'm fortunate to have had that time, but, um, this, this fateful summer, um, it was a day off. And what had happened was one of our most proactive officers, um, super squared away guy. He was doing what you want cops to do. He was looking for, looking for criminal activity in one of our most prolific, um, high crime, um, high incident motels. Uh, we have a string of them. So he was, uh, he was out there on a summer Sunday morning of all times. And he looks and sees a couple people around a couple cars, looks like a hand to hand. One guy walks away. Um, he goes to talk to this guy. So, you know, it's a little bit of a reasonable suspicion, maybe even social, but he goes to talk to him because he's a hardworking cop and wants to see what's going on. Um, this guy starts, uh, he, he agrees to stop to talk to him. He, uh, he stops, he talks to the officer for a little bit. Um, he provides some version of why he's there. He gives his name. It's a bad name. He's spelling it all jacked up. Right. So it's a super common name. I don't know the name offhand, but it's like, if it was Jonathan, he's spelling it J N O T H and he keeps going. And you know, the officer <laughs> firm's like, wait, did you say J O you know, like, write it all down. Is it, did I write this down? Right. Oh uh, yeah. No, I mean, no, no, no. Uh, my bad. And then he's backtracking and he's respelling it. And that's called a clue as we say in the biz. Um, so he provides a name weird. It doesn't come back with any record. That's, that's another clue, right? That's you're lying about your name. You got warrants or you, you have something going on. Uh, fast forward. Um, the guy keeps reaching his pockets. Um, you know, the officer's trying to tell him to stop. Then it's, okay, now you've given a bad name. You've given false statements. I have reasonable suspicion to detain you for that. So he goes to grab him and the guy winds up, tries to sucker punch the officer. Luckily he misses, um, but then he takes, rips away, takes off and the foot chases on. So um, he calls out foot pursuit. He's chasing the guy. Now, as the guy is running and a backup officer is getting there, they, the suspect runs by this barista in a little stand and uh, he's reaching his waistband. Um, the officers both perceive what they think is happening is, you know, he's, he's grabbing a gun. He's going to turn. Um, you don't know, but that's what they fear and that's what they perceive. So they back off a little bit, but they continue on the foot chase. And as they pass by, they look to try to verify with the barista. Hey, are you okay? What did you see? She's like, he has a gun. He just pulled a gun. And now he's running to a, a very highly populated area. It's like this landscaping and, you know, uh, farmers produce stand. And it's just, it's off the hook in the summertime and holidays. It's, it's such that it's on a busy road. And, you know, a couple of times a year, they actually hire off duty officers or 
or some sort of uh, traffic control people just because it's such a such a bustling place. So um, now this guy is, you know, attempted to assault an officer. Uh, we don't know who he is. Now he's in a very populated area. Um, but we know he ran past that. And now there's a bunch of closed businesses. So he's close to a populated area. It checks all the boxes for the risk to the public uh, being armed. And they want to try to find this guy. So they lock it down. They start looking for a canine in the area. Um, there's no one working in the area at the time. Um, you know, now generally with our size city, we have, you know, full canine coverage, but on that day, um, the other handler was off. So, so I get called in on my day off, I go in, um, and it's one of those things you, you think of these funny things, but I was sitting in the, in the, uh, barber's chair, just about to, you know, the clippers turned on and the, <laughs> the hairdresser's just about to start. Um, but my phone starts buzzing in my pocket. I'm like, well, oh, hold on, start. So hold on one sec. Right. Cause had it been a couple seconds different, you know, you're not moving once those clippers touch your hair. Right? Like, that's, that's going to be tragic. So, um, I don't know, divine intervention, um, it was meant to be, but I answered the call and I popped out of the chair and I, I went home to grab my dog in my car and suit up and head in. So, um, by then it'd been a little bit, um, you know, if, if you know dog work and you know, scent work, you know, that the, the scent isn't active for super long. Um, the summer sun will cook it off. Um, so it was a pretty arduous track. We we're checking all these commercial areas, hard surface, uh, different closed businesses, um, tried about just about every direction the, the so we, we kept losing the scent. Um, but we tried to keep on it. Um, you know, it'd been maybe two, maybe closing on three hours of tracking. Um, and the dogs just gasped, but um, you know, I had a veteran, uh, pri a sergeant prior handler that, you know, this is kind of mentorship. It's one of those old bull, young bull moments, but he's like, Hey, did you try like, and he joins us. Do you try this way? That's like literally the last I he's, I've been listening to the whole thing in my car. I've been here on the perimeter this is literally the last place he could be like, that's where I would run. And I was like, well, shoot. Okay. Let's work him past that. Um, so by then we had uh, me and a, a handful of officers, right? Two, two started running with me, um, one with a long gun, because that's how we roll in Kent. You know, you're going to have, because you have the number of officers in the dangerous climate, you're going to, uh, you're going to run with more than one backup. Because if you don't know dog handling, the dog handler's job is to stare at the dog and read the little body, body cue signs, body language. It's not to look at your surroundings. So that's what your backup's for, um, your eyes and ears. Um, so we close on this last business. We get in there. Uh, we're poking around. After a little bit, the dog gets super hot, as we call it. So he's super animated. He's trying to pull towards this Quonset hut. So um, think about like an industrial area. It's one of those giant tarpaulin covered uh, structures, you know, kind of a temporary structure made with metal pipes and all that to fit it together. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty huge. It's, uh, you know, maybe 50 feet by, you know, 30 feet. And then it's it's closed on three sides, has a roof on it, and then open front. And it's used to store a bunch of stuff. There's some riding mowers. Um, it's a landscape company. Um, some cabinets, a bunch of drums. And, uh, and it's pretty cluttered with things. But that's where, you know, the dog's working it. He's poking his head under things and popping back out. And by that moment, you know, I, was, I thought I was getting a little cynical. It had been so long. I was like, man, he's probably on a rabbit or something. He's probably on the wrong scent. Like, you know, he's getting really interested in getting under that mower, but then he, he starts pulling and I'm like, what has he got? And he pulls out, you know, a piece of clothing and then, uh, one, the original officer and it's, you know, it's, we talk about those, uh, goosebump moments, but even when I say this and I think about the moment was 
he's like, that's his jacket. And that's where like, oh shit, like he's here or he came through here. Which one is it? It's been some time, but obviously the dog's hot. So um, it took a little bit for the dog to kind of work out where the scent was um, not to go too much into scent theory, but uh, because it's, you know, there's a roof and it's open front and it's a building semi building, but it's outside odor does these weird things and kind of swirls. So he found the jacket first um, and we're checking some other areas, you know, behind all these drums and behind this cabinet. Um, you know, my, my old Sarge, you know, goes up to move one of the drums cause he can see that better than I can. He'd, he'd worked a dog for much longer than I had and had helped train us and a bunch of other teams. So he goes up to move the, the drum and he sees, and all we see is just a head pop up and down and he challenges him. Show me your hands, show me your hands. And what feels like minutes from here on out, um, as I find out from later from other officers that were around the perimeter was only a few seconds, maybe a couple <laughs> seconds, but yeah. felt like minutes, but suspect head pops up, suspect head pops down, show me your hands, show me your hands. And then pop, 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 pop. Right. My Sergeant falls out of the way falls. We don't know why he falls. Um, we all move up and we start engaging. He's down. He's down kind of like a, um, you know, he popped up, popped back down, but you know what we know about ballistics and cover versus concealment. Hey, I'm going to shoot the threat where I last saw him. Um, hopefully my rounds get through so I can, I can save us or I can, you know, save all of us. Right. So every, the other officers there, we start engaging that last area and I'm basically just shooting at this cabinet. Cause I'm like, that's where I last saw him right behind there and pop, 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 pop. And then boom. Now I remember hearing about this, about Mythbusters, whether you can shoot a propane tank and have it ignite or explode or not. Um, and I heard that it was denied, like it's uh, myth busted, right? It's not going to happen. Uh, propane's so thick that it's just not going to ignite. You could pierce a tank and then it's just not going to just kick, kick up. But what had happened, um, per one of the fire investigators is that one of the rifle rounds was able to pierce the propane tank that the guy was hiding next to in that cabinet. I didn't know. Um, but that cabinet was filled with propane tanks. So of all the things for someone to shoot at, that was a fantastic, uh, fantastic idea by me. Um, but regardless, in hindsight, I was shooting at that tank or those tanks. Um, but it wasn't my round. I didn't have a rifle and it's, it's not anyone's fault. It's really, it's really, uh, what we should have done and there's no way around it. Um, but one of the officers rifle rounds had pierced a propane tank, which caused a slow leak, right? So the propane's leaking out. It's not going to ignite. However, because we're in that Quonset hut and this is why I described it this way, it was semi-enclosed, right? So because it had a roof, like a tarp roof and an open front, there was a period where the leak was able to continue. And then rather than just being out in open air um, where it wouldn't ignite, it was able to be contained at the right concentration, kind of this mid, you know, mid body, maybe like three or four feet where it was the right density where it was able to ignite. So the, the supposition is that the suspects um, firing his pistol right next to it is what ignited it. And so then it was boom and whoosh. And I just felt, I remember seeing this fireball and this perception and this feeling of this kind of shockwave, like, 
um, you know, when you're young and you're playing with illegal fireworks, theoretically, um, you know, this, this <laughs> force passing through your body, but instead of just like a shockwave, it was this heat. And I remember seeing this fire kind of swirl in the air in front of me and then move toward me. And I remember throwing my, my forearms up and ducking my head and feeling it pass over me. I just felt engulfed. Um, we talk a lot about survival mentality and, um, and having that mindset in academy and thereafter, like you always finish the fight. You always finish the fight. You're never dead. You're never dead. It's never over. But in that moment, I will, I will purely admit, I said, it's over. I'm dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I did not think that there was something that would preserve me here. I thought that was just insurmountable. Um, I remember just being intensely hot. Like I just felt like I was inside of an oven and I remember kind of walking around a circle. Like, hey, can I escape this heat or what? Moments passed and then I realized it was getting better and I could kind of, you know, kind of re- regather myself and orient myself. And I was trying to look at where all my buddies were and I was like, shit. And then that's where the, the training and the mentality does, does matter. Right. Because I was like, the fight's not over. Fight's not over. Right. So I did have that brief lapse and then I came back in trying to orient and people are crawling around. Where is everyone? Where is he? Is he dead? Where's your dog? I don't know. He's got to be gone. So we all kind of gather each other and grab one of the officers who's crawling and he's wincing in pain. So we don't know if he was shot. Um, we helped drag him to perceive safety, but everything's popping and cracking at this point, right? A lot of stuff's on fire. Um, the popping and hissing of these unknown chemicals, um, pretty terrifying as well, but we get a distance. Um, we're checking each other. We're doing our training, which is like, Hey, the, you know, this officer's not responding. Um, I don't remember hearing it, but one of the officers called officer down shots fired, which is the worst thing any dispatch or any officer ever wants to hear in a million years. Um, so that sent everyone, everyone that wasn't there, um, sent everyone start flying in from other surrounding cities as will happen. Cause you know, everyone's going to try to look out for it in that regard. So, um, we're checking the one officer ripping his vest off. I'm doing his jumpsuit. Luckily, you know, we're raking, raking our fingers across him, trying to find, you know, a bullet wound or something. Luckily, there was nothing, but he had been burned. Um, that's what he was reacting to. He was in, he was in pain as well. Um, kind of gathering ourselves. I remember one of, my, one of my buddies there said, hey, where's your dog? Where's your dog? We got to get out of here. And I looked up and I was like, dude, he's, there's no way. There's no way. Um, and it's, it's, it's how much it strikes you when you talk about the incident. Like I've told the story probably you know, 20 to 50 times easily. I mean, 20, that's, that's way too few. I think I've told the story maybe like <laughs> 20 to 50 times that month, but through the years, you know, I've adapted different tones and different amounts of humor depending on who I was talking to. But even, you know, years later, um, and knowing that my dog survived, but in the moment, just saying that your dog's dead, um, or thinking that your buddy was hit, uh, it's heavy, right? It's very heavy. Mm-hmm. So, um, in any case, I, I figured he was gone. Um, un, unrealistically, of course, and you think that I'm going to say something about the dog coming out of the fire and it's really not even that, um, it was the suspect coming out of the fire. So as we're gathering ourselves, we look over and we're like, is that him? And he's popping up and he's not to disparage the severity of taking a human life. Um, but he was lumbering kind of like some of these movies, right? You're like, this, is this for real? Um, he's, he's lumbering out towards us. We're challenging him and he actually turns and starts 
moving away towards the back gate. Um, and so he's engaged in gunfire more because he doesn't, he doesn't get on the ground. He doesn't do as he's commanded. Um, and then by then, uh, you know, a containment unit, as well as a couple of us officers engaged him in gunfire and, and he fell. Um, we cuff him up for training and we're, we're trying to get him out of there as well. Cause we just need to get out of the yard. Um, it wasn't until about that point where, you know, me and other officers are yelling Cato and then my dog pops up kind of miraculously from behind the tent. Um, and we all get to the outside of the yard and then, you know, responding sergeants like this is not far enough. We need to get behind that warehouse. <laughs> Um, cause he had the clarity of mind, like, Hey, you know, if you have, if there's yeah. more explosion, we need to get behind real cover. Um, so that's, uh, that's as, as our department has dubbed it, the diehard story, the incident that involved a few <laughs> officers. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. The unrealistic, uh, police story. Um, it's like right out of a movie. <laughs> a little bit, but my joke is that it wouldn't be good for a movie because it's a little too unrealistic. <laughs> so, really I happened. don't think uh, I don't think an audience could relate to it because it's a little too ridiculous um, but yeah all in all um, you know it's, it's unfortunate that we had to take a suspect's life um, but he forced our hand uh, no doubt I mean he had every opportunity to, sur- to surrender um, and fortunately all officers were okay right um, you know mm-hmm. I, I Physi- had a physically physically okay yeah yeah that's a really really (laughs) important point to make um physically okay me and another officer sustained some burns um i got second degree burns all over my forearms um it blistered up but i didn't need like a skin graft or anything um luckily for me i like to i like to wear some product in my hair but maybe because you know i was hopping out of the barber street i threw a cap on and that that protected a lot of my face and my in my head to be honest um and uh and ultimately, um, you know, we talk about the, the mental impacts of this. So mm-hmm. I was actively seeking um, a trigger, like a quote unquote textbook trigger after the incident. So when I was healing, I even went back to the scene in my personal vehicle, my time off. I, just, I went back and I was looking around and kicking around some gravel. And I was like, well, I feel all right. I guess it wasn't it. You know, I'm not triggered by the location. That's cool. I can still work here. Um, and then I'd go back on duty. Um, and then, you know, had my first call a block from there. I was like, okay, here it goes. I typed my buddy. I was like, Hey, come back me in case I like freeze or something, you know, kind of just trying to be overly, you know, studious about it. Um, and then there's nothing, right. I, I felt fine. I felt fine. Right. Um, but uh, I kick up propane at home. Right. And I was like, Oh, here it comes, you know, flashbacks. Um, and I didn't have it like that either. Um, it wasn't gunfire. It was, it wasn't you know, one specific thing about the incident that I thought I would find it. Um, but what it was, was a lot of times just a, a carryover of the feeling, right? That, <laughs> that feeling that would amp up any canine handler or police officer when a dog is getting hot again. Cause we, you know, we worked a couple more years on the street. Every time he almost, you know, was getting close to finding someone instead of coming up to hear like a, you know, an eight out of 10 in alertness or, you know, hypervigilance as we talk about, it was probably 11. It was probably off the charts as far as how long it took me to come down. Um, even a traffic stop, right? The guy suspended. Um, and this is the after fact, right? Stop someone for something and they're not pulling over right away. Most experienced cops, every, every block that goes, they get more and more amped up. Like, what is he trying to pull? What is, what ambush is he planning? Oh, he's rooting around under the seat. What's he doing? 
um, those types of stress responses were way more significant. I could tell uh, because even just doing a stop in the middle of the night, um, someone like that, that didn't pull over right away and start rooting around the glove box. I was ready for a gunfight rather than just backing up and being aware of a possible weapon. Like most uh, squared away officers were, I was ready for it. Like I, I knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to come down from that, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the, the stress responses of us and the roller coaster. Um, it takes a while to come back down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that my responses were a little bit more like that, a little bit more sub, um, in the, in the normal framework of work. Um, but I feel very fortunate that I, you know, I came out of the incident just high on life as a lot of people do in a mm-hmm. near death experience. Um, so much so that there was even times since then that I, I wish I had that feeling again. Um, and it's kind of a sick, it, it feels like a sick feeling when you say that loud and you talk to your friends or coworkers about it. You're like, I kind of, kind of want that. Like you're almost asking for a close call, but you know, it's nonsensical. Um, but you're chasing that feeling just to be alive. Um, so I, I do think on that and I think on, you know, kind of the, I think on the thought of that and how that's not necessarily the best response, but, um, I feel fortunate that because of my, my, uh, my support systems, I've been able to frame that really positively and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just do the best I can there, um, uh, from there. Um, it takes reminders, but, um, that's, that's where a lot of my conversations go to these newer applicants or new officers is like, Hey, make sure your support systems are dialed in. And if they're not really bolster them now before you yeah. need them right. be there. Right. Um, but that's a, that's absolutely critical. Yeah, that's a crazy story. <laughs> when Brian was telling, yeah, Brian was telling me, ask him about the what did you you had a name for it? <laughs> it was like the die, die hard story, the yeah. die hard story, and it's like <laughs> that's crazy. And uh, uh, yeah, that's just like you put every action movie scene into one scene, and that's that story. And then the guy comes out like, "Yeah, come and get me, copper," and then he starts <laughs> starts slithering off like that's not real, man. But uh, that's a crazy story. Hey, when we're, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back, and we're going to talk about what it takes to get hired by uh, Kent PD. Policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator Ken Ryball, who spent 16 years conducting over 1,400 LAPD backgrounds. For more information, go to policebackground.net. Hey, we're back. Um, we're going to talk about uh, what it takes to get hired by uh, Kent PD. And I imagine like most agencies, your standards are fairly high. And so um, from the beginning to the actually where you get the job offer, Brian, what does it say? I want to be a police officer in Kent. I go to your website and I get the information. What, what do I do? For, what, what happens after that? So it's going to take you to publicsafetytesting.com, and that's where you're going to take the written and the physical test. So in Washington State um, agencies, that's what they do is written and a physical. Um, 
we the public safety testing is a third party. They um, they and they contract for many agencies. We're one of many, many, many agencies in Washington State and then some other states that, that utilize their testing process. Um, some other agencies use another testing, you know, other testing processes or, or in-house testing processes. Uh, but it's it's a written uh, test. Uh, you have to score above a 70 in order for your stuff to your scores to to pass essentially that's a passing score um and then after that your um and i'm sorry that written test it it's it does like deductive reasoning um uh, inductive reasoning i don't know the difference between those two written <laughs> comprehension uh information ordering um they've done some different like you know studies and, and whatnot to, to build that test um and then Assuming that you you score above a seventy and then you you hit the the benchmarks for the physical and that's pass fail. So uh, the physical portion is uh, it, it's sit ups, push ups, and uh, what they call hip thrusts. Uh, is that the way like you the, do at home? Now you can do it at home actually. Uh, I think it's basically when when COVID hit and then they they had to get creative because they they weren't able to do these things in person. Uh, so you can do them virtually. Uh, you can do them actually at, at any time fitness where somebody watches you and kind of. Uh, make grades you gives you, you know, does the numbers checks them off for you, or you can do them, um, uh, in person at one of their testing sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are, I believe it's, um, 20 pushups in 90 seconds, 25, uh, sit-ups in 90 seconds and 35 squat thrust. And that's like a half burpee. If you know what a burpee is, you, you go down and you put, do a push up, then you stand up and you, and you jump. But, uh, it, for, for ours, the hit, the squat thrusts, it's, um, uh, no, no push up at the bottom and no jump at the top. So assuming you pass all those, then you go into, um, uh, what will happen is your scores will get sent to, to Kent and you will be getting an email from Sergeant Tung that invites you to uh, what's called Guardian. It, it, it's where you upload all of your waivers, um, basic stuff, high school diploma, birth certificate, social security cards, stuff like that. Um, you, do, you don't have to be a citizen, but you have to be at least a permanent resident in, in the Washington state to be a police officer. So whatever supporting documents, you upload all that stuff. Uh, and then um, Kent is a little bit different than most other agencies. We do not do oral boards here in Kent. Really? Um, yeah. So, um, where you may be contacted by one of the other agencies pretty quickly to come in and do an oral board, you'll be contacted by us to come in and do a station tour, have some one-on-one time or have a, come out to one of our candidate workshops. We're host, we're hosting two candidate workshops a month. Uh, it's typically 30 to 35 people per workshop, um, in various stages in the background process. Some people who are considering testing, some people who are actually in the process and we get to use that to, to get to to know them. And we do use that as part of our hiring process because you come in wearing, uh, a, you know, an, an antichrist shirt and, uh, you've got a, you know, a swastika on your forehead. We know by looking at you, <laughs> this person's not going to make it far. So we do use it informally. Um, but the, the formal process after Guardian is um, you'll get an email from our HR, uh, Chief Civil Service Examiner, to, to formally apply within the city. You, 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 fill out, you, you click a link and you, get, you apply, and then that's when the background process will start. So depending on where you placed on our, on our list, we'll determine you know, how quickly our back, uh, background investigator can be assigned to you. Um, uh, I know some agencies do polygraphs and chiefs interviews in the beginning and the, it, and we're the ones that do it at the end. So background starts 
the background, you know, entails a typical background process. Maybe, you know, I don't know if that's something you want to know, but Sergeant Tung can talk about that. But background starts, if you pass along the, the background process without getting disqualified, um, your last things are chief's interview, which is the only oral board style interview that we have. Um, but a chief's interview, um, and then you get a conditional offer at that point. And then assuming you pass the polygraph, the psychological exam and the medical exam, um, shortly thereafter, you get a final offer. Yeah. So how are candidates ranked if they don't do an oral interview? Yeah. It's, so they're, they're purely ranked off of their public safety tests. So their written score. Um, and it's, it's simply a strategy we are using, um, of course, every every tweak you do to a, for a department to tweak their process, they're gonna lose some good candidates, and they're gonna they're gonna let some non-ideal candidates place higher, right? So, right. a lot of the strategy was just uh, simply the logistics of planning and getting people in for oral boards. It's a little disadvantageous for people that are they're working one or two jobs full time. When can they go, come in to do an oral board on a weekday, midday? Um, so we're trying to remove some of those traditional barriers to help people come in, um, uh, barriers of entry. Um, and Brian's right. Like a lot of people wouldn't perceive it that way, but every stage of the game you're being evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what this podcast is very helpful for is just help, helping people present their, them, their best selves. Mm-hmm. Um, he's correct in that we don't use it to formally evaluate anyone. However, when we do a candidate workshop, it's, it is truly to benefit the candidate. Um, mm-hmm. It's to put information out there. It's to remove all the mystery of the process, just like, just like you both are as a resource on this podcast. I mean, your services is to help people set up for success so they can put themselves forward in the, in the best way, mm-hmm. uh, market themselves, essentially. Um, at the same time, coming out of a candidate workshop, there might be certain things that pop up because people want to ask questions when they have you in front of them, they stay after they ask some questions yeah. and they might ask certain questions about their background. That's generally one, one thing, Hey, here's my situation. And sometimes it helps us when they explain in person and we're like, okay, like, yeah, on paper, I could see that'd be a little more concerning, but as you explain it, I'm, I'm happy to entertain that. Um, on the other hand, some people explain some things and they make excuses and they uh, you know, they, <laughs> They're, you know, uh, minimizing as, you know, you may talk about. Um, and so that gives us a little bit of a, an awareness and a little bit of a red flag for me because I'm, I'm seeing how they're not owning their, their issues or their mistakes. And for us, uh, you know, a lot of it, just like you talk about here, is be open, honest, and transparent. Um, it's what we need. It's what anyone would expect if you wanted to, to have a team that was all dialed in. You need that trust. Right. So we can't trust you from the get go. You're not going to be part of the team. Um, more importantly, um, is the, the, the necessity for you to be completely honest because you're held to a high standard by our society, right? You need to testify in court. Your word needs to, should mean more than an average person. Um, and then further, it's, that's the main thing that's hurting police culture is this, this lack of transparency, this lack of integrity and, and I say, and I'll say perceived by some, but it comes from somewhere, right? It's not all cops. It's not most cops. It's enough cops that it makes the headlines and it makes us all look bad. So if we get any sense that you are disingenuous, that you're manipulating information, that you're withholding, that you, uh, you're not consistent, um, which is, you know, which is the name of the game in a background process, then we can't, we can't right. dance with that. 
the whole you lie you die thing mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah. i um yep. i i the thing about the oral interview i don't know how you feel about it minerva but i i don't have a problem with that because i'm a terrible i'm terrible at oral <laughs> interviews and um i've lost a ton of candidates because they were outstanding but they couldn't do an oral interview they couldn't do the the give the right answers or whatever it is and they were just so good at what they did and then candidates who were able to to uh, speak well during an oral interview they they went through faster in the process than those who were really good candidates who couldn't do the talking thing and yeah. um, I see two points to it I mean I understand that some people are good test takers mm-hmm. right and not very good at interviewing but Police work is also about being able to articulate verbally what you want to say because you have to testify in court. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, you know, it's also a good indicator of what kind of people you're getting. Mm -hmm. But I could totally see as a recruitment, you know, to expedite and try and get more people, how eliminating that step, you know, helps the department, too. Yeah, my own two cents is that there's a lot of validity and benefit of having some sort of oral communication um, Mm -hmm. uh, criteria, right? Whether it's an oral board or we do have it in our chief's command board interview, right? So that's a panel interview similar to an oral board. Um, But what I don't like is a lot of the traditional oral board, uh, I guess, schemes that I've seen before. Um, I don't mean schemes. I just mean more like a format Um, where I, you know, I did a number of oral boards when I was coming in. I did, I've sat on oral boards in house. I've sat on other oral boards, assisting other agencies. And there are good questions and there are bad questions and there's good answers, bad ones. Right. But um, personally, I've never really been a fan of the scenario based ones um, where you're, you're asking a lot of people to scratch their heads and, and assume what a police officer or squared away police officer would do or say in this moment. And my anecdote is because if you ask police officers, good ones, how they should respond to that, you're going to get a whole multiple answers, yeah, yeah. a whole host of answers. That's so, true. Um, and then I will say some of those questions are the civil service questions are horrible, right? Because they have like four questions in one. Yeah, <laughs> That's the other yeah. thing, too. By the time they're done reading the third, fourth question, you've forgotten the first question they asked. too. So I will agree with you that the format could be better. Yeah. But if they're having a chief's panel anyways, there you go. So I think that yeah. that's good. I mean, but the, but the thing with with the with the oral interviews is they they do that at the beginning and then they ask they could ask you scenario based questions. Would you give your would you give your mother a ticket? Uh, heck, yeah. <laughs> heck, yeah, I would. You know, come on. Um, and uh, the uh, the other thing is Fail. that. <laughs> they 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 pass or fail them based on their how they present themselves in an oral interview. This is new to most people, and yeah. you go in there, and if you don't look like you're so nervous, uh, then you're not doing it right. Then you know. But I I don't know. I have a I have a kind of a love hate relationship. I have sat on oral boards too, and I mean I. I remember sitting on an oral board and this guy who was already an attorney, he was a partner at a law firm, wanted to become a police officer. Man, he sweat through his suit. He was so nervous. (laughs) And I was like, this guy's an attorney. I'm sure he's used to like, you know, talking in court and, you know, presenting and stuff. And man, but he sweat through that suit pretty badly. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and my, my favorite oral interview story is, is I had a, I had a candidate that um, he was a he was a school teacher. He had a master's degree, 
and he could only get up to uh, 97 on his oral interview. And there was another candidate um, uh, who came in and they got a 70%. Uh, but but the, the second candidate was a targeted candidate. So they got a 70%. They went through. He had to go back and he had to try and try. And once he got a 99 on his oral interview, then he passed through the process the other candidate got hired. They quit uh, the first month of the academy, and the other one took like a year to get hired. So that's why I have an issue with with DQing people because they don't get a high enough score, stuff like that. And that's just yeah. That's just. I mean, I've I have real life that experience in it. I'm sorry. No, I said that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with the, with you guys doing that. And then when you get, when everything's out on the table, the background files there and they go to the chief's interview and the chief goes, yeah, good to go. You know, everything uh, you've, you've brought me your best candidate. Now I want to interview them, you know, and if they don't score super high on the interview, but the chief goes, yeah, this is, this is a, this is a, 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 a an off, a person that can be an officer. I see their potential. They get hired and they didn't get knocked out in the first interview that they had. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's tough because you want the weed out, right? Because backgrounds, as we talk about, a good background is very labor intensive. It's a lot yep. of labor hours, yes. pure hours, where if you do schedule oral boards, there's a potential that you could review a lot of candidates and you can you can cut a lot of people that ought not to be there. Now, you might cut some ones that you in hindsight, you might like, right? I know anecdotally there's, we've had candidates that we, that we're moving through the process. We're super excited about. We've even hired some where they, they completely tanked an oral board somewhere else. Now they can talk one-on-one with the best of them. They can even present a small group just fine. But in that setting, in the board interview, they just, they crumbled. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's our benefit. But at the same time, by not having oral boards, we do have to take a look at a lot of backgrounds that it does eat up time. So, um, you know, that's why I say it's a strategy. I don't know if it's the best. It's just what we're going with right now. It seems to be working for us right now. Um, but as soon as we we reduce some of our staffing constraints, I think that the, the goal would be to inject more steps similar to that or some some other kind of evaluation tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mm-hmm. uh, we had a Washington State Patrol on here. And I think, you know, it's a it's a hustle to get the candidates because you're, you're working with a very small group, uh, a pool of, of potential candidates and they were on here and I thought they were doing it right. They were, they were on social media. They were doing other things like that. And um, um, I think that you have to be, you have to move with the times. And as you, as you can see that, that uh, Kent PD is saying, let's try this, let's try this. If it works, cool. If it doesn't work, you know, we'll move on to some other strategy, but you can't be stuck. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, this is, this is not 2000. This is 2022. You can't stick with the same things because by and large, uh, Minerva and I have been around backgrounds for, for, uh, for years and years. And I can tell you that departments by and large stick with the same strategy in 2022 <laughs> that they did in 2000. And it doesn't work like that anymore. There's so many different tools. I mean, there's departments that have TikTok and Instagram and, um, and all this stuff on social media. That's where a lot of these candidates are coming from. And I liked it. I like it when departments come on the podcast and they go, Oh yeah, we're doing this and we're doing that. That's what you have to do. You have, you have yeah. a, a candidate pool that may not be in the traditional 
areas that uh, that they used to be. So um, so that's a that's a big deal. And I want to I want to talk about one of the things that candidates struggle with for since I can remember is the uh, is the PAT, the physical agility test, and just PT in the academy. <laughs> How do you guys? What what are your your recommendations suggestions for candidates to get physically fit to just get in the academy? Yeah, I think that the big one is uh, approach the job like you're doing it and like you'd want someone to approach it. So, um, I I get a little frustrated. I mean, I come from. I, I'm come from a fitness background in that I've become very into it and it's a huge passion of mine since becoming a cop. Um, but with that, even at the time I was testing, I was like, man, if I'm going to do this, I gotta, I gotta do it legit. Right. So I'd go to the gym a lot in college and, um, I did not grow up athletically or, you know, fit or strong or fast or anything, but I, I took it really seriously at that point. Um, but in college it was more like social hour, right. You'd kind of, you kind of <laughs> sit, sit around on the bench and, every day was, you know, every Monday is international chess day. And, and then you kind of falter through the, you know, as the weekend gets closer. And then of course you, you never really get to leg day. Um, bro, science, bro science, hashtag bro science. Bro science. Is real. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> sure. um, you know, you, you gotta have, if it's not strength and it's speed and agility or it's skill on the mat, or it's, you know, a combination thereof, right. If you're not big, you gotta be, you gotta be skilled. Um, but, it frustrates me when people are looking at this job and they're like, yeah, I just have to get a little bit more in shape, but then I'll be great. Right. Um, no, like get to the point where you feel confident that if someone's life is in the, in, in the balance and it might be yours, it might be your buddies. It might be a child's like, you're ready to act like you can move quickly. Um, and it's not to disparage anyone of any body type. I know some big dudes that can, they can move quick when they need to. Right. But don't ask them to run a mile and a half. They're not going to do it. Um, which I appreciate, you know, as much as in Washington state, I know it was covered in other podcasts recently, but we kind of have an odd physical standard in that there's no running in it. Um, but at the same time, like running in a mile and a half, just really isn't a thing unless you're a canine handler, um, or you're running with the dog. Right. So it depends. Um, but all in all, I think my, without going to the minutia of the test, the best thing you can do to prepare for the uh the physical test is to work out and that's vary it between resistance training so that's strength training and cardio and that's super big rocks there's a lot of ways to cut it um if you love to row on a machine if you love to run cool you can do those things i'm confident that if you do them regularly enough and hard enough you will have the cardiovascular ability to smoke the test right now you need to add resistance training right so if you like doing crossfit do crossfit just watch your joints um, and your back. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to, yeah, I'm not trying not to be team, you know, no CrossFit, but I'm, it's not my thing. Um, that's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> now, as far as like weight training, um, you know, I had a, I, I really liked the weights as I, as I got more and more into this job. Um, what's something cool that I've learned a lot more formally is that I've, I've been through a certified functional strength um, and conditioning program as, as part of our wellness program with the department. So there's a handful of us that are, um, some of them have, some of us have a fitness background, you know, they might, um, they might have a CrossFit background. They might have a weightlifting background or just, you know, just recreational, but we've all gotten to a basic level of 
um, strength and conditioning um, awareness, right? And, and we can, we can, the goal was to run people in our department through workouts and, and do some basic assessment. We're not PTs, we're not uh, movement specialists, but you know, someone's saying, Hey, I need to strengthen my back, you know, but I get super sore through the day and doing this, like I saw at the gym, isn't working for me. It kind of hurts. Then we can prescribe and we can work with them and give them some, some movements that are easier on the joints or easier on them. Um, but yeah, just to roll it back a little bit, um, you know, two to three days of resistance training a week, make sure you're hitting all major body parts, you know, do a pushing movement, like a, like a bench press and overhead press. Um, do a pulling movement like a row or like a pull up um, and do a leg movement. So that's squats that could be body weight. That could be holding a weight in front of you. Like it's called a goblet squat. could be barbell on your back. Um, could be deadlifts, right? Go easy, go slow. Um, so that's, if you're doing those things the right way and there's a million free resources online, YouTube workout plans, then you will get there. Um, however, because we you know we're talking about the specific tests, um, that those things will get you there. But at the same time, you can, you can work on things like push-ups, right? That's a common, uh, a physical, uh, test component for a lot of police agencies, but it's not just doing push-ups every day. Um, you gotta let your, your muscles rest and recover and you got to challenge and provide a stimulus. So we, there's something called progressive overload in fitness training. So that's really just, uh, making it harder over time, right? Um, if you make it harder over time, you're going to get stronger. So for Washington state, you have to do 20 pushups. You can rest in the locked out up top position. You can't, you can't put your knees down. You can't rest at the, sorry, rest at the bottom. Um, so some people that are getting close are like, Hey, I can do 17, 18, but then I'm gassed. And so every day they try to do 17 or 18. Well, they're not going to get there. Um, there's a better way where maybe every other day you do pushups or, you do 10 sets of 10 throughout the day, right? So you're resting, you're letting yourself recover, or you do 50 knee pushups three times a day, or you do, you know, with your feet elevated, you see if you can do, you know, eight of those and do that, you know, five times in the morning and then do the same thing in the evening, right? And you're making it harder or you're going super slow, five seconds down, five seconds up. Maybe you can only do five of those. And let me, let me interject. So let me yeah. really quick, Sergeant Tongue could go on and on and on. He could go <laughs> pop clearly, on. Clearly uh, I have been, so thank you, Brian. <laughs> he could go on to Mind Pump Podcast, which is the number one fitness and entertainment up to just. Oh, just, are they going to sponsor us now? Like a little pitch, a little pitch for Mind Pump. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, we, we're, we like listening to podcasts and physical, and him and I, we're both, we came from bro science. And, bro science. Uh, bro science you know international chess day right on mondays but um so let me let me just plug this because he doesn't want to brag too much but he does uh run this this other so our our instagram page that we run for uh camp police recruiting pages our future cops so if you're listening to this and on your phone right now just go ahead and open up your instagram give us a follow type type up but also, but also uh blue grit wellness blue grit wellness is a is a, a instagram page that um sergeant tongue runs that uh is to help candidates and to to, to just help uh, police officers and whatnot uh whether it's physical or mental it's a, it's it's a great follow um that's blue grit wellness but he also has been running um physical fitness um uh what are you calling them sarge uh They're just fitness uh, training sessions uh, for, for 
uh, for females specifically yes. who are struggling, who are struggling to pass. So um, it really, oh, I've heard the sentiment and we'll, we'll, we'll get off the PT thing because we've been on it for a while, but we've heard the sentiment of, Hey, how are you going to get better at pushups? Do more pushups. So what Sarge is really getting at is it's not just doing that be physically fit, go and push some weights around the, the females we've asked, Hey, why, why did you smoke it so quickly? I, 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 just some young gal that comes out and, and, uh, in our testing process and Hey, how was the physical portion? Oh, it was easy. It's because they regularly work out two to three times a week with resistance training, and you're going to be able to pass these tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then being able to maintain it. So one thing that we do at Kent is to, in, to when you get hired, you, some people don't know, which I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, at this episode, you probably know in Washington state, if you test or if you get hired, we don't have an Academy date yet for you. So you have to t- pass the PAT in order to get hired in order to, to apply. Mm-hmm. And then you have to take it again in order to go into the Academy we have had it and other agencies have had it. It's actually how I got into the Academy is I got hired. I wasn't supposed to have the Academy start date for another month and a half. Well, like three or four people failed the PAT after they were hired before they got into the Academy. So what we do is our, our new hires two hours a day during their shift typically at the end of the shift or the beginning of the shift, they get to go work out. Mm. So, so before the Academy every day, we let our, our, our new hires go and work out so that when they go to the Academy and we want to create habits so that when now, even after they're hired, we want them regularly working out. It's important. Yeah, it is. And doesn't, uh, Brian, doesn't, um, doesn't physical training, uh, go hand in hand with mental wellness as, as well? 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. And uh, you could go into all kinds of studies about hormones in your brain, you know, the way your brain's working, dopamine and serotonin and all that stuff. Um, it's, it's not just a release for meatheads. Oh, I go work out and I feel so much better. No, you, if you, even if you just would go for a walk and you're doing yoga and you're doing whatever, Pilates, I've never done Pilates, but I imagine that would probably it's work hard. too. Okay, it's there you go. Hard, yeah. Uh, yeah, hot yoga, hard. super hot, super hard. That's um, hard too. But 100%. It is, it is, it's, it's critical for it. If you're, if you're not taking care of yourself physically, um, you're probably not taking care of yourself uh, mentally either. So I think it comes down to like, you just have to do it. That's the only way to get ready for the Academy physically is to actually go out and do it. Like there's no way around it. Yep. I always, uh, I always joke with, uh, with Minerva because she's on, on her uh, Instagram. She's like, okay, this month I'm doing 500, uh, uh, what's the jump jumping jack, jumping oh, yeah. rope jumping. Jump ropes, and then yeah. I'm thinking that. yeah, that's, that's, I dig it. that's hard. Yeah. That's too difficult. It is hard. <laughs> I tell Minerva to stop it because she's giving me some kind of stress there, but then she's, then the next, the next month, she's got another thing where I'm doing this now. And I'm, and she does, all this, I'm moving a four wheel truck, you know, or something like that. I'm like, man. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't just haven't done anything in three months now and I'm feeling it. Like that's what you say. So quick. But uh, I, you'll get it back fast too, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just I working out is just ah, gosh, man. I don't know, but I think, uh, and it's funny to me that you mentioned uh, burpees, uh, Eric, uh, a, a few minutes ago. That they're still doing burpees, and uh, I think that's a war crime. Burpees should be designated as a war crime, <laughs> but does that? They're just terrible. Um, but burpees are uh, killer. It's just they uh, are. difficult, man. Um, but uh, the. As far as the uh, as far as the background goes for Kent, 
Um, you you're the recruitment unit, but you work hand in hand with the with the background investigators. And uh, is it uh, pretty much? Um, I know backgrounds are about the same, but uh, do you find lately? I wouldn't say lately, but what, do you find that a lot of your candidates that you bring in and they're very promising, and then they they fail the background for one reason or another? Do you have any insights into? What candidates, uh, what's happening with candidates as far as DQs go? Is it just honesty? Is it driving? What's what's the big deal now? Word vomit. Word vomit. I love that. <laughs> or diarrhea we, of the mouth. I, I, that's my only input because I'm going to let Sarge take this one. <laughs> How, however, uh, and just a short period of time that I've been back there, so many times we're getting in the polygraph phase because typically that's where all of a sudden this additional information comes up. But mm. somewhere down the line, additional disclosures are coming up that would have that would not have disqualified you if you had just word vomited all of your things. Overshare, mm-hmm. yeah. overshare, mm-hmm. and it, you know whether whether you're afraid or you're embarrassed or whatever it is overshare because then now it's coming out at a polygraph when it's a month and a half after your background started or a month later now what else have you withheld what else are you minimizing what else versus you walking into that polygraph and you've already vomited everything that you've got um, and then the polygraph's easy anyways. It's less stress inducing. It's, it's stressful anyways, because you're sitting down with you know, all those set, all the things hooked up to you. It's stressful anyways. But mm-hmm. if you have some things hang, hanging over your head that maybe, I, maybe, maybe that fit that box on page thir- 13 on the personal history questionnaire, just, just put everything out there over sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would always ask my candidates at the end of the interview, is there anything that we discuss or that we didn't discuss that you want to discuss now? Nope. Like, yeah, they're like, nope. Okay. Nope. And then, <laughs> and then a month later you find out, wait, I, what you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's the thing is like, I mean, Brian hit it on the head. There's a, there's a hodgepodge of things that we're seeing as DQs and frustrating DQs. But the biggest one that's the most frustrating is that, right? Especially when you know, um, you know, more and more departments are going to be more understanding to things that happened in the past, right? We're all young once we're all, we all make our, our mistakes, but let's own it. Right. Um, how I try to look at the hiring unit in our process is like, how do we want to treat you as an employee, as a team member full time? Right. So if I can, if I can be understanding of you, when you make a mistake on the street as a supervisor and you fall on your sword, you come to me, Hey, Sarge, I messed up, you know, I made this mistake. I went out of policy or I let this person have, like, I just went off on this person. They got under my skin. I dropped some F-bombs. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. We can talk about it. But if you hide it, if you lie about it, that is unacceptable, right? It's unacceptable to the department, to the public, to the profession. So it's the same thing we talked about before. Just be transparent, right? Um, I, I had a candidate early on in our coming over to this gig and I met him at a testing event, added him on to our agency. So it was a true recruitment where he wouldn't have tested with us otherwise. And we built a relationship. Um, you know, I was, I was listening to his upbringing. It was a rough upbringing. And I was like, Hey, that's a, your exposure to that is going to be very useful in our community, right? Your understanding and how you've, how you've, um, processed that and how you've grown into this, you know, guy in his thirties now, like, you know, he's, he's matured, he's taken ownership, da, da, da. Um, 
now he had a lot of things in his early 20s that he was not proud of and i was like get it all out right we can we can work with that we can work with that and ultimately he he fessed up to a lot of embarrassing things but the thing that that he did not fess up to until the polygraph was on uh employment history stuff like we knew he had some shaky employment history um leaving this job quitting that job getting fired okay we talked about it but he had a few more that were just super trans um uh transitional yeah uh transient like jobs right two weeks here put an app just started under the table there that would not have dq'd him at that point we already knew that he had a problem with reliability in his early 20s this is 10 12 years later we're good to go, right? But he withheld just a handful of them and he failed the polygraph. And I'm like, how can you, you know, we, I can't just circle back and be like, all right, like, let's go again and see if that's really all it is because we had those conversations. Um, so, you know, at a point we just got to cut ties, but not only that, but I think that he, he may have sabotaged the rest of his career, right? His potential career, mm-hmm. because who else wants to take a look at that person and say, Okay, is it really everything? Is it really even if we hire you, did we miss something? Because there's always that possibility, right? So it's just dumb stuff. And I've heard a lot of agencies even put their their stuff out there saying, hey, if you want to contact us and just see, you don't even have to give your name Just say, hey, if I did this, this and this, would that be a DQ? I mean, if if people are offering to do that, then why not Mm -hmm. take them up on it? That's really ask you guys. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, good, good. Uh, I'm going to ask this question only because somebody recently reached out to me on Instagram about finances in regards to backgrounds. How important are finances for your agency in regards to backgrounds? Because this person said that they want to apply to be a police officer, but there's some issues with their finances Didn't specifically say anything about it. And I didn't specifically ask, but, uh, just curious. So you guys can put that out there for other people to hear too. Yeah. We are way less concerned about things like finances than we used to be, or that any police agencies have traditionally been. Um, but I think that the best thing for your listeners in some departments, what what we're looking at is where are you at now and where are you going? What direction are you going in? Right? So if finances, um, as far as finance as an example, let's say you have this, this crazy amount of debt, you have a boat, an RV, a new car, and you just bought another one, you know, you bought a motorcycle last week and you have bad finances and a lot of debt because of that. And you're in between jobs, then that's an issue, right? But if you have the same exact amount of money in debt and it's a medical bill in school, we're going to look at that way differently. Right. Um, but even zigzagging to the first example, right? Maybe you get DQ'd, but in a year's time, you've sold things, you've gotten on a payment plan for some things else, you've you've reduced your debt dramatically. Um, just because you're in debt, that, that would not DQ you for us because you're doing exactly what you need to be doing um, to move in the right direction. You're taking ownership. Right. You're trying to fix the problem. Absolutely. Now with the pandemic, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs or, you know, a lot of people, a lot of things shifted, right. Because of the pandemic for the last two years. So a lot of people's finances also changed in that regard. Um, do you guys obviously take that into consideration too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to look at the whole package. Um, and so when I say finances and what, 
finances are one example. Um, you know, driving history might be one example where traditionally, if you have so many tickets over the last 10 years, then you're out. Um, mm-hmm. But for us, you know, we're going to be a little bit more open minded than some of our neighbors because we want to look at the more recent history. Like, where are you at now? What, what kind of life are you living? Um, are you being reckless or was that literally five to seven years ago? And since then, all these things have changed in your life. Maybe you've you've grown a family. Maybe you found a career that you're really taking up uh, a lot of opportunity and leadership, but it's not your ideal career. Police is your ideal career. Like I'd hate to box those people out. And I'm, I'm fortunate that our, our agency, our team and our department is on board with taking a look at those candidates. Um, because yes, I, I see why some people would say that we have a lot fewer candidates to work off of. And that may be true in some respects, but the other piece of it is who are we boxing out or who are we not engaging or who, right. what non-traditional candidates are out there that are exactly who you want to be as cops. Um, but they just, they don't have the, uh, the ticket to entry. Yeah. We talked to a lot of candidates that um, have not experienced redemption because departments are just too, they're, they're overly strict in how they look at the person's past. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these, these are now, these people are now officers. They didn't give up. You know, one of them was 10 years, 30 apps, 10 DQs. And in those 10 years, nobody would hire him. He says, I've, I've been called to do this. I'm going to be a police officer. And now he's been on, on the job for, for 15 years because, um, because I think it's important. You are correct in that you don't need to be so hardcore going back 15 years, you know, background investigators always like to say, you know, time and distance, time and distance, you know, once you get enough time and distance, you know, you will, you will then be magically transformed into an excellent candidate, but there are some things you cannot distance yourself from. If you got arrested for shoplifting when you were 15, that you cannot, you know, since that now that I'm 21, I haven't shoplifted. That's not the way it works. You know, you have to look at things individually and determine whether you're going to overlook it or not. Uh, some things like driving, you are correct because driving, um, you know, you're, you're going to be going at high speeds with lights and sirens. Your adrenaline is going to be pumping and you cannot be a knucklehead driver. Uh, 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 honesty is another thing. You know, background investigators can do a lot of things and sew your head back on, but honesty is not one of them. And uh, there's one thing you brought up. I can't remember if it was Brian or Eric that you can, you can, have something in your past that I, I talk to people all the time. They say, I, I, I did this. And I go, ah, nobody's going to care about that. There's no background investigator on earth. That's going to care about this incident. And then they lie about it because they think it's so bad that they decide they're going to lie about it because they're embarrassed by it. Now you didn't get DQ'd for what you did. You got DQ'd because you lied today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. where integrity is big because you, uh, you have to go to court. Somebody was talking about going to court. I think it might have been Eric. That you may go to court depending on what state you're in, and based on your integrity, somebody could go to the death penalty because you, you know, you have to you have to remember things and you have to be honest in everything, including testimony in court. And so, if you've got that thing where you're going to lie, background investigators are not kind to lying. <laughs> that's just all yeah, you can't be and we shouldn't be no and we don't we don't want to be working with liars anyways right no if you if, if you call out hey he's he's 
somebody's doing something, you're, or hey, I have PC for something, you're going, and you didn't see it, you're going to arrest somebody, take uh, away their civil rights based off of their statement. You, you didn't mm-hmm. gather that information to get to get to PC. Now, did they, did they piecemeal that PC together and maybe kind of fib a little bit? We can't have that. That can't no. ever even be a question. And I never question my guys because we hire, because the background process is so stringent and it needs to be, it should be. It yeah. has to, it has to remain that way. We can't lower standards dramatically because we're the nation's having a police staffing crisis. Yep. It's not something we can just, uh, you know, we can't have a traveling nurse program, you know, a hospital's hurting for nurses and then they can pay a triple, you know, the wages for a travel. No, you, we, have to have well-trained high integrity good people working for us yeah and, it, and it's important it's funny because we you know we, we talk about backgrounds uh when we were in lapd backgrounds a a, a a police officer can have done something you know they get in trouble for something they did they got arrested or whatever the first thing they do is they go march themselves right back to the background you didn't pull that file because they want to know what did the background investigator do wrong what did they miss I didn't miss anything. The guy was, you know, he did this or that. That's he passed the background, but yeah, um, yeah backgrounds are, are are just super important. When people say, "Oh, my background investigator DQ'd me," your background investigator didn't DQ you. Your background DQ'd you, or something that yeah. you did. And mm-hmm. so the high standards are important. And if you get caught doing something faking PC or something like that, the entire department you're going to get on the front page of the news and your entire department's integrity is going to be impugned because you're a liar. And now your whole department's a liar. And I say, good. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, nobody likes bad cops more than cops. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, I'm, I'll get off my high horse about, about being honest in the back. We can go on and on (laughs) for sure. I want to find out what it's why, why people should join, uh, Kent PD, because one of the big things about having you guys on here is people need to go to Kent PD and apply. And I, and a quote that, uh, that, uh, Sergeant Tung said in the news, um, he said that, uh, we find that most people don't want to become a police officer for the pay. They, they don't pursue policing for the paycheck. It's more about purpose and impact. Tell us a little bit more about that and why, uh, why Kent PD is the place to go. Yeah, for me, I, I applied like a lot of people did kind of a, a little shotgun approach around my area. Where was I willing to commute to? Kent was one of the farthest agencies South for as far as my radius went. I didn't grow up in Kent. Um, I grew up in a, to be honest, a more affluent, safer community, right? A, A very different police department, much smaller, less action. Um, but going through the process, what you can say the city, it's a silver spoon in your mouth. Yeah. I will say a lot of my friends had pretty, pretty sweet new cars when they turned 16 and I got the family minivan. So, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, happy. Right. I'm grateful to have had that opportunity and, <laughs> you know, last to drive all that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, in doing so, I met the the people in my oral board of Kent. Um, and by then I'd found my groove and I got better at interviewing and how I was treated, uh, was very good mirror looking back on how my supervisors and my team has treated me through and what I try to carry on. Right. So my pitch for Kent, um, as far as why I joined and why I continue to care is the people, um, and it's not going to be for everyone. But uh, when I learned about Kent and the crime rates, um, it's not 
it's not a safe city. Um, we're busy. Um, but I've always liked being busy. I've always prided myself to be a hard worker, a grinder, and that's who's super successful here. Um, at the time it was pretty unheard of to become an FTO at like four and a half years on. I did it. Uh, I got a canine spot at five years. Now it's more like three to four years uh, for our new handlers or our new SWAT, SWAT officers. But when you look at those individuals, um, they're grinders. Like they're going to every training possible. Uh, they're going on their own time. They're training on their own time. They're working out, they're shooting, you know, whatever the job capacity is, if it's investigators, they're filing their own cases. Um, but they have the mentorship to do it. Um, and they have the exposure to do it. Um, because there's a lot of violent crime and a lot of significant crime, they, they can cut their teeth on a bunch of cases within the first couple of years of being here. So as soon as you get settled in your, you know, your kind of rigmarole, rigmarole of patrol, that's a lot. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss. I got a three-year-old <laughs> at home. Um, but you can really kind of job craft and go the direction you want and you'll have the exposure and the bandwidth to do it and the resource to do it. So um, between the people and then the, the opportunities and the experience, um, that's what I mean by purpose and impact. Um, you know, Brian's talking about multiple lives that he was able to save, um, literally. Um, and that's, that's a very, that's a very special feeling to know that you have that. Um, it's not to disparage anyone of an, an agency that might be slower paced or lower crime. Like we need everyone. We need all y'all. Um, and that's the pitch that we make when we go out recruiting too, is like, Hey, this is, this is not about Kent's the best. You need to join Kent. Um, but if I like you, I'm going to work on you. Um, but this is about, thank you for those listening. Thank you for even coming to look at this profession. That's not popular. It's very heavily scrutinized, but we need good ones. Uh, we need you. So uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Brian to, to keep going on his, uh, yeah, I'll, his put, I'll, put, I'll put my recruiting hat on and give my little pitch. Why Kent? Right. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, some, a lot of people don't know anything, anything about Kent. I didn't know a dang thing about Kent. I grew up in Tacoma, Tacoma's home. Tacoma has always been home. Uh, I love Tacoma. Um, uh, I won't, I wouldn't work there now for my own reasons, but I, I love, I love Tacoma, the city. Um, but, uh, so, uh, and I always thought when I went to go get hired on, when I first got hired on my Kent, I was like, oh, I'm in a lateral to Tacoma because that's just home and whatnot. Um, but I fell in love with Kent. So uh, I was working at SCORE Jail, and um, that's a multi-jurisdictional agency that houses for a lot of South, South King County um, cities, uh, the misdemeanor jail for Auburn and Tacoma and Des Moines, a bunch of those, right? And I would talk to officers and they'd come in and I'd go, hey, where should, I think I want to go to the streets. I want to work. I want to be a police officer. And Kent was always brought up, um, and this was, you know, back in 2015, 2014, Kent was always brought up as a respected police agency um, in the region. Um, and it, it still remains that way. Uh, Sergeant Tung and I, we, we've been, we go all over the place doing recruiting and we'll run into cops from other agencies, Island County. I'd even know that I'm, I, I'm dumb. I'm a dumb cop. I, 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 I stand by that but <laughs> Island County isn't too far from here. And we you know there was a cop there. who was like, Hey, we heard great things about Kent. I'm like, 
That's awesome. It's great to hear that. So it's a well-respected agency, but uh, location-wise, we're right in the middle of Seattle and Tacoma uh, without traffic, 20 minutes uh, to and from both. So we have people that live all over the area. So if you're considering uh, a place you want to work because of uh, geographically, right, the location, um, some people a little bit north of Seattle probably wouldn't even consider Kent. Um, but we have people that live all over, Woodenville, Maple Valley, a ton in Bonnie Lake, Tahale, uh, Puyallup, Tacoma, Federal Way, um, officers in Renton, officers in Seattle. Uh, we, we've had officers in, in Gig Harbor, commute from Gig Harbor. Um, and that kind of goes into my next little pitch about um, uh, having take-home cars. We have full-time take-home cars. A lot of, a lot of cities don't have full-time. When I say full-time versus part-time is because when you get off FTO, it's yours and you don't share it with anybody. You, you don't have to drive in your POV on your first day and then drive, you know take a, take the department car home. And then your last day you bring your POV. No, it's yours. Um, and nobody has to do the math on gas mileage and oil changes and all that stuff. You know how beneficial that is. Um, but being able to go straight into work and it cuts down on your commute time. Um, Big time. So, uh, and then the sort support and the impact, um, you know, Sergeant Tongue kind of hit on that, but also, uh, I know we're close to Seattle, but we've got a supportive city council and, you know, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe we need to delete that if I'm talking about, you know, Seattle city, city councils and whatnot. <laughs> uh, it's in the news. I'm not here to poo poo on any other agencies except for to talk up ours in, in our city council and our mayor and our chief is, is super supportive. I mean, uh, the fact that we're able to do this podcast and, and that we that we've been dedicated to, to come out here and 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 uh, get out in the public and and recruit, um, you know they they support us. Um, they they don't speak on our behalf. They if there's something going on, they have a question about, they'll come and ask us. Um, but no, we we've got the support from from our our. Um, our city council and mayor. Um, and then, you know, obviously just the opportunity um, to, to get out there and do some, some cool stuff. You know, I, I do have three life saving awards. I've, I've done a lot of cool things in the job, uh, real impact in people's lives. Um, uh, it's a big enough city and it's, it's violent enough uh, to where you, you experience it. So, and maybe that's not your pace. You know, we, we have a lot of people right now. I've been talking to a lot of, we've, I've been posting on indeed and so many um, uh, people who are mid career, 15 years in a job, they're 35 years old. They've been in the same job since they're 20 um, who would make great cops. Um, and maybe they're, maybe the pace isn't, you know uh, maybe the pace, for, for Kent isn't what they're looking for. Maybe they do need to go to, uh, I'm going to say some agencies not to disparage, but it's just slower pace, right? Maybe they need to go to a port of Seattle or they need, they should go to a Kirkland or a Bothell or great agencies. I know I've been meeting the, the recruiters there and more cops from those agencies, great agencies, just a different pace right? Very different right. pace. And so um, I'll finish this like for the why Kent. Well, hold on. I'll, 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 I'll add this and then I'll talk about pay benefits and some retirement and whatnot. But um, I've been saying to people that right now, candidates, maybe they don't recognize this. And, and you've been saying it with, you know, there used to be two positions open to 500 applicants right now. This, if you're, if you're a sports person, this isn't a draft anymore. This is a free agency. Okay. We are out <laughs> there looking for the best talent and we're going to pay top dollar. Right. Um, and, and what that means is you being that, that, that's that star player, potentially you need to go see if those agencies fit you. Okay. Go tour the facility, go on ride alongs, go and ask questions, go and ask hard questions. Um, get a, a, a feel, 
for, for the culture and the morale. Um, you know, you, you go on a ride along with our guys and, and you get to sit in, in, in a substation and, and just listening to them, shoot the shit. That might be your vibe or maybe it's just not your fit. Right. So uh, we encourage that. And then lastly, just pay benefits retirement. We are one of the highest paid agencies in the state. And we're proud that our, our contract, uh, you know, finished up early this year. Um, the city recognized, um, the need and, uh, and we've, we've got paid, we were paid top dollar. So when you start here, it's 83 grand a year, 83, 288, it equals out to about $40 and 40 cents an hour. Not that I've done the math or anything like that, <laughs> but, um, uh, and that's, after all. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's my job, right? This is what I do. So, uh, you start at that pay. However, if you have a bachelor's degree, uh, here in Kent, we'll pay you 6% more, which is pretty significant because wow. that's your, that's, that's base pay. Your overtime is, you know, affected by that as well. Uh, if you have an AA, um, it's 4% more. If you were fluent in another language, it's 3% more. So it's stackable. So say you, uh, you've got a BA and you speak another language, that's 9% more than any of your other counterparts that don't have that. Um, so we start at 83 with nothing, with none of that, that you're closer to 90 grand a year with those, um, added incentives. Um, after five years, they are, they are. And, and if you're, if your listeners don't know what that means is pensionable means it is the, is your income that you're making all going to add up to where your, your, your pensions impacted at the end. And here's a little thing that's different about Kent that most people won't understand when I first say this, but since you said it, I'm glad, and I'm glad you said it is almost all of our overtime, whether it's off duty or not, it's all pensionable. So Mm -hmm. there's a local police agency that I respect tremendously. I was talking to a dude who's getting close to retiring and he, we were talking about those numbers. And if he had spent his career in Kent instead of this other agency, um, his high five, meaning his pension would be based off of like almost $200,000 a year versus the hundred grand a year that he's making because all of his overtime goes in separate checks. That's what you're talking about, right? Minerva, you're, you're, right. you're getting, you're getting this. That's not going towards your pension. Um, and so we make so much money here. Cause you, so like my, I've been here for seven years, but, and, uh, I don't have extra college. I don't speak another language fluently. All I have is an extra pay bump because I have some special, t- like I, I'm a, I, I'm a recruiter, which is an in- incentive. And I, I'm um, a part of a civil disturbance unit, which is incentive. But my base pay is about $115,000 a year. That's my base pay. And we have unlimited overtime here. And the reason why I say that, and, and it's not, we don't do mandates anymore too. There's another sales pitch. I, I, I guess I could just keep going on with sales pitches. <laughs> Since we've gone on to 12 hour shifts, while we have major staffing issues currently, 12-hour shifts allow us the ability to have more bodies on the street at any given time. And so what's happened is instead of us, when we were working 410s just up until late last year, when if you were, you were working, you were getting down towards the end of your shift, and there was only going to be four bodies on that next shift, what would happen? Yeah, mando. You'd get, you'd get mandated, <laughs> and you're you're thinking about your pillow already, and it's midnight. And you're supposed to get mm. off at zero one hundred, and Sarge's like, "Hey, I'm sorry," and the Sarge looks at you like they're defeated themselves. Hey, I'm sorry, Brian. I need you to stay till four. Mm. Like, oh. so we don't do mandates anymore, but. We have a ton of overtime if you want it. And I'll just give one little like little story. We have an officer who's working on her. Um, this this officer's working on their their uh, high five. This person's already at over 200 grand this year. And what that does 
and that we don't necessarily encourage you working all this much, but why, why it's important is the pensionable part of it. This person's getting caught up being able to retire much earlier, years earlier with a, a pension that pays way higher for the rest of their lives. Um, so yeah, all of our money's pensionable. Um, I think without any of the extra stuff, uh, you top out after five years at 106 grand, uh, a year. No, I'm sorry. It's 108. Um, but by that time you probably have some other specialty uh, position anyways. We have so many of them in the department, uh, between SWAT and CDU and, uh, you know, traffic, you know, uh, bike units, all that stuff. Uh, it all pays extra hostage negotiation negotiators. Um, our training stop notch. I mean, um, we, 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 we don't just do the bare minimum training for, for, you know, what the state requires, um, our equipment, we buy all the equipment for everything. If something breaks, we're not, you're not replacing yourself. We're buying it for you. Um, uh, we quit equipped with M4 carbine rifles. Uh, if you're a gun guy, we got great guns here. Um, we have our own indoor firing range, Kent PD, um, you know, uh, pretty cool silencers. I'm not a big gun guy, but the silencers on our fire, on our rifles are are the the suppressors. Mm -hmm. I apologize. See, also not a gun guy. Listen, listen to how, listen to how dumb I am. Right. Uh, Let's let's like clip this little part and put it out there on some gun (laughs) gun page. Like listen to this cop talking about guns. He's got no idea. Man, they get paid well. So yeah. Yeah. We get all kinds of banks. I have a bachelor's on bilingual. There you go. You're telling me about Washington. Um, you know, background investigator, you get paid 4% more. Or, I mean, just stack and bada bing. Uh, the uh, your your starting pay and your uh, your incentives are pretty great. Uh, the, a lot of times, mm-hmm. candidates they they get on the job and they go, oh, "I'm going to get paid this much." And it's but you have to think thirty years from now. And you guys have something on your website that says retirement medical program. What's that about? So if you retire. Um, when you retire at 53, you, you can be eligible for the, um, the retirement program where they will pay you $800 extra a month to, to cover private, uh, medical coverage. Um, cause I mean, wow, you, a lot of people, huge. a lot of people know, you know, it's expensive, you know, the 15, 16, uh, a hundred dollars a month. Um, for to have for really good healthcare here. Yeah. And so, um, that's just extra money on top of your pension which we have a top-notch pension plus a deferred comp pr- program. So it's just, it's just an extra 800 a month until 65 when Medicare kicks in. Mm-hmm. What's the, but that's uh, a big deal. Oh yeah. Medical. A month for, t- yeah, for 12 absolutely. years, $800 a month for 12 years. That's a lot of money. I, I didn't do that math and I'm not that smart to, <laughs> to do it in my head. It's a lot of money. It's, just, it's There's legit yeah. that you repeated it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of agencies that do not have medical into, uh, into retirement and that's a lot of money. Um, so that's important, you know, in talking to negotiators, you know, the way contracts work, typically once you get something, you don't lose it, you build on it, or if you're going to lose it, it's going to be, it's going to be an exchange of something. And I know that that's another thing that we're looking at moving towards is, is, um, hopefully we can keep building off of that. till some point by the time I retire, maybe there is no medical coverage, uh, you know, or maybe it's fully covered via Viva or some other, I know there's other programs out there that we can base it off of that. It can be mutually beneficial for us and the city. And so, mm-hmm. um, not that I'm, I'm not, an, I'm not a, a contract negotiator either, but or if you get uh, hired by a certain time, you may get grandfathered in. So hurry up guys. Yeah. Yeah. Hurry up. We're, we're probably <laughs> not going to be losing that. We may be gaining from it. So that's what I'm saying. I like that you guys have your own uh, your own uh, department indoor shooting range. That's kind of cool. 
It is pretty yeah. sweet. And uh, so we got a lot of range coaches that, um, you know, the department supports us. If you're, if you want to go out there and you want to get better at firearms during your shift, you got to go, you have a range coach, go out there, open it up um, and, and run you through some drills. Um, we have a, a kind of last cool thing that I've just kind of learned is um, we are one of three tier one SWAT teams on the West coast of the United States. It's us TAC 30 and um, which is in King County and LAPD. Um, and so you have to hit a bunch of benchmarks to, to say you're a tier one SWAT team. But what that does is it filters down to the rest of the department because we have a SWAT team member on every, on every shift. Um, you know, when you go to a call and you're backed by quality dudes and you're, and you're, and they're, they're providing extra training and whatnot, the insight, that confidence and that ability to go out there and perform the job the right way. Um, man, it's through the roof. I mean, you know, it's super sad about Uvalde and we're not going to have to go, we're not going to go through all that stuff, but I'm confident that if there's something were to tragically happen in one of the schools here in Kent, um, we have top notch training and we would be, we would be doing the right things the right way the first time um, because we train for it and we've got the the people and the personnel to, to do it. To, so uh, if you come to Kent, you're going to be uh, trained well, and and when when you when you get off FTO, you are going to be equipped to do this job the right way. Uh, say say something happened, you were going to you're going to leave Kent after all that stuff. You're going to be much. I shouldn't. I will say it. You're going to be much better trained than most other agencies, and much more equipped to to be successful in a career in policing um, than than if you were to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I have three questions. Yes. <laughs> how big is your agency and how many vacancies do you guys have? That's just one question, by the way. <laughs> yes, that's two. That's two. Uh, so we have 18 vacancies. We have 100. Is it 160 or 165 166. now? 166. Yeah, we're approved for 166. Approved for 166, but we have 18 vacancies um, with more anticipated attrition, unfortunately. Okay, that's great. Uh, the other question was, uh, what academy do they go to? It's in Burien. Oh, sorry. It's in Des Moines. Uh, it's the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Center in Des Moines. Um, I think the address is Burien. It's, it's close. There's a lot of small cities clustered there. But yeah, it's the same yeah. for all uh, all Washington State. Except how- for Eastside. Eastside's now, okay. they're going to, Spokane has one as well. How long is your academy? And then how long is your field training program? It's uh, 720 hours, which equates to about four months. Um, and, uh, and then the FTO program, if you, if you glide through it without getting unplugged and, and no extensions in any of your blocks, it's four months long as well. Okay. it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I can elaborate on that just a little bit. Some, uh, some people are like, what does the Academy looks like? What does the uh, FTO experience look like? The FTO uh, Academy is, uh, pretty much academic now. It's it's like going to a community college. Mm. Uh, there's not a lot of mental resiliency that's being built into it, but you'll get that here. Now, I see I see Ken kind of <laughs> snickering a little bit. <laughs> we were talking about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's so, good. Yeah. Now, 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 <laughs> hold on, hold on. Um, when Tongue, when when Sergeant Tongue went through the, the the academy, he was still. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Tongue, but I know I'm not because you and I talked. Uh, getting smoked, right? Uh, bracing in the hallways when when uh, attacks are walking through. Um, you, you know, always getting physically punished for doing something. You know, but it's building mental resiliency. Um, but they've they and then I went through and I went through. So that's the warrior culture 
I'm putting in air quotes. And then, so when I went through seven years ago, it's, it's, they shifted to a guardian culture, right? And it's, it's essentially the same thing, except for, uh, they, they're, they're trying to preach a little bit more philosophy and, um, and I'm not a tech, so I don't want to. I don't want to put words in in their mouth. But it is uh, a little bit softer, kinder, gentler, with a little bit less uh, mental resiliency built in. But um, you're still getting good academic stuff. You're still getting quality uh, training when it comes to case law, uh, criminal procedures. Um, you know when you can and cannot do things. And so um, I don't want to poo-poo on the on the on the um, training there because it'll one, it, it delegitimizes it. Um, and it, and it makes it seem like they're not ready at all to be a police officer when really, I think it's an opportunity for, for, for new people who maybe aren't necessarily as mentally resilient these days as maybe they used to make them right. Just the generation, just talking about the generation, right? It, that's just true. Okay. It, it's a little, we're a little bit softer. I'm a millennial. I'm a little bit softer than, than Ken. Ken, you were probably a little bit tougher than I am. Okay. You look like a tough guy with that mustache, but, uh, but it's still good training. It's still really good training. What you're going to get here in Kent is we still, we see that there, that there is a gap to be filled. You're going to get fight for life still at Kent PD, uh, at the Academy. They don't do that anymore. You're still getting hit with OC. OC spray. Uh, OC spray is terrible. Nobody wants to get hit sprayed with OC and mm. they don't, but they're not doing the Academy anymore. We're doing it here. We are doing, uh, we're, we're making sure that you're ready um, for the rigors of the job here in Kent. I'm yeah. That's school. not just a punishment. I mean, you're going to carry the stuff and people are going to spray it. People are going to spray it on each other and you're going to show up on the scene. You need yep. to know what that stuff feels like and that you can, you can act through it. Right. So it's, there's a re I, I understand there's a reason why, Academy used to be a certain way. And I understand there's a reason why Academy is this way. And I think that Brian's right. It's, it's not like pick your flavor. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And that's what I hate mm-hmm. about our polarized culture, you yeah. know, in this nation so many times, like you can be a warrior, you can be a guardian, call it whatever you want. You just need to be a good person. That's going to put yourself in front of others, um, whether it's gunfire, whether it's scrutiny or whether it's uh, you know, your time and your own sacrifice. Right. And so it's really, that's what we're getting at. We're getting at, people that want to take care of people and are willing to do this job and the dangers that come with it, the stress that come with it. Um, and if you have that heart to serve as our chief puts in, it's super important to him. He asked about it in his chief's interview. Hey, what do you do that shows that you have the heart to serve? Like, what do you do outward to the community? doesn't have to be typical community service, but it just shows that you care about other people and you, you put a part of yourself out there or you put some time out there. Um, that's what we're looking for. But the academy might not teach uh, the 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 resolve or to you know hey are we are you able to run into that that uh, that elementary school that uh, whether you hear shots being fired, but on the FTO our FTO process it's a tough process uh, we're gonna we're gonna be training those things and 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 talking through uh, what ifs because you're not gonna experience every single call in four months right so, on FTO so hold on let me understand this. <laughs> Is there tactics in the academy? There, I'm sorry. There are tactics, but it's not, it's not tough. It's not tough there anymore. Is there you know, PT? It's, it's, it's there's not really any PT. From what I've heard, there's, you're not doing PT at the academy. No, you are doing some defensive tactics. I see. Um, but it's, it's no PT. Very so academic. Like, very. So like arrest and control. And there is some of that. Yep. Okay. There is some of that. Yep. <laughs> I'm looking there, at yeah. Ken like, what yeah. is well, going on? 
I, I yeah, and I have things change, so yeah. And that's right. I mean, and and the, you you know, Kent PD doesn't run the academy. I think it's a regional right. academy for the state. Is that it correct? Is. So it is. Yep, it's that a, is correct. it's above everybody's pay grade as far as how mm-hmm. things are done. There's reasons right. for they do it, and this is 2022. It's not whatever year everybody went through so the academy. Is there like a post academy once the, the guys get out of the academy? Cause I know like my agency, we had a pre-academy, we had two week mm-hmm. pre-academy, went to the academy. Then we had a two week post academy. Yeah. So before we, do we ex- went into FTO. We do the exact same thing, two weeks and two weeks. And um, a lot of that is pre-academy is a little bit different than post-academy, but we, mm-hmm. in those two weeks, we are doing five for lives, a lot of firearms training, a ton of firearms training here in Kent. Um, our primary weapon, most people, most agencies, most people think that your primary weapon is your, your, your pistol. It's not, not in Kent is when we can pull out our rifle, we pull our rifle out because it's just more effective. You're, mm-hmm. you're faster, you're more, um, uh, way more accurate. Um, and so it, so then that ends up being safer, right. For the public too. Um, so we do do that two weeks before, two weeks after. And then, and I think this is kind of really where I was going. I, I kind of went on a tangent with the Academy, but it was, it was Ken's face that got me going on the tangent, <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, FTO, what we're doing with FTO, it's a little bit different is in the past, Kent PD, if you, you could ask really anyone, Oh, Kent PD is so tough to get off FTO. That's what I heard. And that's actually, it was the truth. When I got hired on, I think I was sworn in with uh, six cops. Three of us made it, you know, and they got and, and a bunch before us, a bunch after us, just we're getting washed on FTO. But we were really doing ourselves a disservice because some of these people, they'd get washed pretty quickly and then they would go to another agency and they'd be successful. So what we're doing differently is we're, if you're struggling in a certain area, instead of just saying, oh, this guy can't cut it with report writing, we're going to unplug you, meaning uh, give you some ungraded days, lower the stress levels a little bit for you. Um, to, to, to get you to a place to where you can be good at it. So then we put plug you back in and we're not just going to pass everybody through, but we're going to try and do spend a little bit more time equipping you and getting you ready. So now maybe we unplug you, we unplug you, extend you in some blocks and it still doesn't work. Okay. So be it. But um, we're not so quick to wash people anymore. We can't be because I mean, by the time you get on to FTO, you've already been with the agency for seven, eight, nine months, maybe how much money and effort and time have we put into this candidate just to fire them? Mm-hmm. And now yeah, yeah. what did we do to our staffing? Right. We're trying to help our brothers right now, Sergeant Tong and I, we're trying to help our brothers and sisters out there and saying, Hey guys, we're, br- we're bringing you some officers. We're going to help you with your caseload, right? We're going to let some other people handle some cases and some t- take some paperwork from you. And that's not the case. If we continue doing FTO the way we were before. Yeah. yeah. And as a, on that note, I mean, we spend so much time, we're talking about backgrounds getting hired, right? Um, at the crux of it is like we spend so much time finding people with good integrity, good values, mm-hmm. good character. Yes. Um, we need you to do the job. We need you to be sharp to a certain level and adaptable and work in a team, communicate. Sure. All these things, but really it's, it's good values. You care deeply about people and you do need to be able to handle stressful situations, right? You do need to right. be able to problem solve through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of that, you know, it's a very different job. You wear so many different hats. You multitask in all these ways that, don't really uh, aren't really paved in in other schooling or other careers much unless you have a very parallel career right like a military experience something like that maybe security right um, but we spend so much time investing in finding these people like let's let's work on them right let's coach them because that's that's what our team's about it's about raising people up when we find the good ones we'll be we'll be patient right as long as you maintain a good attitude mm-hmm. and you make some market improvement, as gradual as it is, 
then there's a lot of potential for you. I like that. I like the mentor, like a mentorship type program mm-hmm. that you guys have going. I think that's pretty cool. And I think, I think okay. that, that, uh, these agencies are onto something. I mean, you have to change with the times. Um, there's, there's the, there's the struggle for me, um, having <laughs> been pretty old school, and uh, stop laughing at me. I struggled too. I was uh, like, wait, wait a minute. Like, what did they do in the academy? Is it like really just like class? But, but yeah. I, I, you know, I also see the need to be flexible and change with the time. Right. Yeah. I, and um, that's, that's what I'm saying is that is when I talk about when, when I talk about old school, I, I came on the job 42 years ago. And so things were way, way different back then. And so when you see how, even in backgrounds, we see how things have changed. And my, I guess my love-hate relationship with, with change is that um, I think Austin PD in their academy, they had this, this common phrase. It was emblazoned on the wall. It was either a flag or a plaque or something. It's huge, huge thing in their gym for the police academy. And it was that old phrase. Everybody's heard it. The more you sweat here, the less you'll bleed in the street. Everybody knows that. And I'm like, you put, you know, you toughen them up and all this kind of stuff. And then when it comes to, if they don't quit here and if they don't quit on FTO, when the shots are fired, like Eric went through, you're not going to say, oh, I'm, I'm just going to die. I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to die. It's (laughs) because you have to already have that mentality in you that you're going to survive the battle. And mm-hmm. so that's where I, that's where I kind of struggle with the, what, what, one of our friends. Um, and I'm with you, Ken. I'm with you on that, to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> one of our, one of our friends is an old school um, SWAT, SWAT trainer. And we interviewed him and he made a comment. I don't know what the, what the thing on Instagram was. I posted a video and he says, well, that's what happens when you put people through a gentleman's academy. And I just busted, <laughs> I busted up at that because I, and so you can see, I'm not, I'm not giving you guys pushback or, or not you, but the, whoever made those decisions, I'm not giving them pushback. I can see where it's 2022, but I can also see where you need to, you need to put them through the paces because you don't want them yes. to quit. Mm-hmm when the shootout happens either. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, that's a struggle. Um, but that's one of the things that we're looking for in candidates too, right? Do you have that mental, that, that toughness, that resiliency. And sometimes that comes out in, in, uh, some of their backgrounds, like, Oh, uh, like uh, Sergeant Tong was talking about somebody that had a tough upbringing that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe came here, immigrated here at nine years old. And that person raised their kids or their, their younger siblings. Right. And some of those, that toughness, because you can't really teach resiliency and toughness, right? You, you listen to podcasts for other successful people, um, uh, is successful in any line of work. And they talk about mental resiliency and toughness and all that stuff. And, and just to kind of give them some credit in the, the Academy, uh, like blue courage, uh, a lot of, lot of old school guys and you hear blue courage, you hear that term, you went through that training here and you kind of scoff at it, but what they're really teach, they, they talk about those things about, about being a guardian and about being tough, mentally tough. Um, and, and, um, maybe they don't train it so much with getting smoked and all that stuff. And, and, but they, they, they discuss it. They talk about it and, and hopefully we can, hopefully it's, we will see, right. We will see what this, what this turns into. It's with a fine offers. balance. Yeah. 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 So we will Fortunate, see what it, what it turns out to. 
So I was just going to add, like, fortunately, we do that, you know, pre and post academy. And, um, you know, we have a large department with a lot of trainers, right? DT, firearms. Uh, we have hostage negotiators that can talk about crisis management and de-escalation. But I don't know that every agency has that. I don't know that every agency mm-hmm. has that um, that in-house expertise, you know, if you're going to put the onus on them. Um, right. Some agencies, like you... FTO, like you might be like the fifth cop, like in the department, right? So what does FTO even look like? You know, yeah. are you going to see four different trainers over the course of four months, like our department um, or other cities our size in this area? Like probably not everywhere in the state. So um, I, I definitely feel the the strain and the the debate. I mean, you it's hard to cover all bases, but there is a there are some necessary things that we need our, our police officers to be able to do when they hit the street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, in closing, before we, before we close, I have one last question for you. Um, for anybody that wants to join uh, Kent PD, you can go to uh, www.kentpolicerecruiting.com. Kentpolicerecruiting.com. Also follow um, Eric at uh, Blue Grit Wellness at uh, Blue Grit Wellness on Instagram, and then also uh, at our Future Cops for the Kent PD Instagram page. Um, is there? Am I missing any any uh, websites or <laughs> Instagram pages? These are going to be in the show notes, uh, so you guys can just click on them when you're listening to the to the uh, episode. Yeah. Um, our, uh, we're on Facebook, our recruiting page, but the best way to communicate with us for sure is through instagram our future cops and then and then you can send us your email and then we're super responsive on the email um you know we it's hard for us to turn it off much to our wives <laughs> chagrin because uh, we do care but um yeah we we're definitely available we want to be mentors even if you're out of the area you're not trying to move to washington or kent if we can provide some insight or some guidance that's what we're here for as well yeah. And in closing, this has been a, a really good, insightful uh, interview. But in closing, I want to ask you the one last question that I ask, I think, almost everybody. Um, and I'll start with uh, with Eric, and then we'll move on to Brian. 2020 was a difficult year for law enforcement in the United States with George Floyd, all the anti-cop sent- sentiment and everything. And uh, then, so as a, as a result, a Numerous large agencies are losing cops like crazy. And then the recruitment, uh, the best efforts, the people aren't coming in like they should. But there are still those people, I talk to them, you talk to them all the time, that they still want to be cops. So what motivational words would you have for someone in, in 2022, for someone who wants to be a cop, what motivational words do you have them to keep to stay on the course? Yeah. I mean, that, that hits hard, you know, especially with some of our best friends having left either the state for, you know, more pro cop States. And again, no judgment or left the profession um, in the last few years. But for me, it's, you know, not to make it too cliche, but just remember your why, like, remember why you want this. And because for the, there's a lot of the sharp guys and gals listening. Um, I'm sure you'll get there, right? Um, it might be a learning process. It might be some trips and some failures, oral boards or whatnot, right? But just remember why you want to do it. Because when you're in your career, whether it's 5, 10, 15 years in, 
you're going to question yourself. You're going to question whether you need to keep in it. Um, remember why you even came into it in the first place. Um, and generally it's, it's just not about you. Right. And so we can, it's ironic how we can adopt a victim mentality pretty easily. And I have a lot of my colleagues that even admitted, yeah, I know it sounds like a victim mentality, but okay, cool. Let's vent. Let's, you know, let's bitch a little bit and then let's move on. Let's move forward. So that'd be my insight. Uh, Brian. And my, Hey, it's still a blast. It is a fun job. It truly mm-hmm. is a front row ticket to the wildest ride on earth. Um, it is so much fun. Uh, we can go on and on about the career and how, you, how many people get to retire at 53 years old, you know, love my dad to death, but I mean, he's, he's still working like a dog at 65 years old, just about, and, uh, he loves it. He looks good. Um, uh, he, 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 he looks great. Um, but he's still working and he has to. Uh, so, but it is a blast. Uh, the camaraderie that you have and the substations, the, you know, the, the, the things that you can't explain, honestly, about this job, you guys get it. Uh, you know, I could run into you in a bar somewhere and you may, you and I may, may have never met, but as soon as I find out you're a cop and I and mm-hmm. you find out I'm a cop, it's a different connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that camaraderie, um, you know, I, I've, I've met a lot of military members that have gone on to other jobs, other professions, and and then they're like, you know what, I'm, I, wa- I want to talk to you about being a cop. And they're like, I, I just never experienced anything that has come close to being in a, uh, to being out there in Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever. And granted, this isn't that, however, it's the, one of the closest things you can get with that, that type of brotherhood. Um, it's, it is a blast. Now it, it can be tough. It can be cha- trying, it can be challenging, but, uh, man, you, you won't regret your time. Even if you, you, you put in some time and you end up leaving because maybe you forgot your why and you've, you've just, you know, life's just been beating you up and, and you can't, keep going on. You just lost the love for the job. Um, that happens too, but you won't, you won't regret that time because man, you, you will have had uh, the time of your life for sure. Yeah. Police work is still kicking the pants. That's the whole oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> name of the game. Uh, this has been a great interview. Uh, Minerva, do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I just want to piggyback on what Brian said. It's true. I mean, in my career was cut short, but I have a lot of good memories. And honestly, if it weren't for the fact that I was medically retired, I'd probably still be pushing a black and white out there. So yeah. And yeah. having a great time. Right. <laughs> I'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. 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 You'd be bitching sometimes because of the, the call volume sometimes, but you know, I honestly can't think of too many times that I did a lot of venting. I, I have a lot of great friends, you know, I met a lot cool. of good people. You, you just that connection, right. That, yep. um, people, other people don't get, and uh, that's unique and special. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Both are the same thing, but you know, I think it's just a great job. So, but a great interview. Um, yeah. You guys don't have to lie to us. We're just, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Believe me, that was I'm a not. great interview. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, uh, right. if you, uh, if you want to get a hold of, um, of, uh, Sergeant Tongue and Officer Cordinas, uh, Cortinas, that's, I don't want to think, but, uh, anyways, Cortinas. Cortinas. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to get hold of them, the the info for the uh, website will be in the show notes. Also, let them know that you listened to the episode and you were just so pumped 
that you had to call call them to join. Also, if you want to uh, send us an email, send me an email at can at policebackgroundnet and uh, we'll if you like the the episode, and I will share it with Minerva because she always sends me smiley faces when I do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, another great interview. We thank you guys. We really appreciate you coming on the uh, on the show. This is going to be. I always say this when I feel so good about it. An interview. This is going to be one of my favorite interviews. This one actually went uh, went on. Uh, two and a half hours, but I'm keeping the whole thing. Oh wow, awesome! I'm yeah, keeping so the whole good. thing. Uh, well, we have a lot you. of people. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. We have people that that listen to it. They say I listen to it going to work and back. I have a long commute, or they're just um, they just want to listen to it. I think this is going to be one of those episodes that we're not going to cut anything out. So, uh, but thank awesome. you guys again, and uh, we will return Minerva in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.